0: Alright, welcome back to a special edition of the Road Dogs Podcast. A suit and tie affair, as you will. Mm. Today, I am joined by my cousin and co-host, Josh Shaw. Josh, say hi.
1: Nick, I know you're wondering, and I'm sure the audience is as well. I am currently wearing American Eagle for my wardrobe tonight. I've got some Nike shorts and a ratty sweatshirt is who I'm wearing tonight. And I just want to shout them out before we get into it. Excellent,
0: excellent. That's awesome stuff right what, there. What are you Thank wearing? You what much. are you wearing?
1: I got I to gotta be my Joe Like, Who is it? Ryan, I, uh, Ryan
0: Seacrest? I'm wearing a Ska Fab hat. Shout out Ska yeah, Fabrications in Durango, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wearing a North Face vest. Um, wow. I've got a nice l o Bean Henley provided by your mother mm. for Christmas, which was me really wonders. And I got a pair of sweatpants yeah. on, which is, uh, you know, any given day of the week is probably what I'm in. But <laughs> so maybe not a suit and tie affair, but uh. <laughs> We are discussing the Oscar nominations. I just think if we showed week. up
1: on the red carpet, we'd just look fucking fantastic, honestly. I think they'd be like, who are these eye-catchers? Look at them.
0: Uh, Kevin Smith has worn hockey jerseys and jorts for 35 years, so I think we can make it. I think we got a chance. <laughs> Kevin Kevin Smith catching strays on the start of the show. love Kevin Smith. Well, not up for any Oscars this year, though.
1: No, uh, Speaking
0: not. of the Oscars, how do you feel this mm-hmm. year? Are you happy? You think they got it right for once? Kind of? Maybe?
1: You're throwing a lot of like questions in there on oh, the red carpet today. Uh, Bringing different energy. I like this. I, mean, I think this should be how we like roleplay this episode. We're on the red carpet, just like trying to sneak into the academy to be like, well, let us watch the show, and they're like, no. So we're doing. our What own are you telecast. wearing tonight? Is that Vera Wang? It's just the homeless guys. Like, sir, do you have any money? <laughs> like, oh, oh, is that Louis Vuitton? <laughs>
0: No, that's oh, I see you fashioned a pair of shoes out of those 7-Eleven napkins.
1: I really like what you did there. How crafty. You. you might have to cut you on the uh, the, the New York modeling circuit, sir. Uh, but to get back to the question, and I think I feel good about it, you know, for the most part. Like, the one complaint I really have is, like, I think they put actors in the wrong categories. And that's really my biggest complaint. But who actually got the nomination wasn't that bad and kind of where i think they got it wrong they didn't ruin the integrity of the award was like my biggest takeaway
0: i think this is one of the more spread out well oiled picture categories in our lifetimes to be honest with you and i think it's actually kind of starting to show the direction the academy go is going in i mean flash back to you know when we were like first kind of cognizant of the oscars and when this stuff became important to us there is no way everything everywhere all at once from a like a quote-unquote smaller studio like a24 is going to get 11 nominations i think that's pretty awesome you know you have your foreign director with ruben oslin in triangle of sadness which is kind of like an art house play along with tar um and then you have like your your classic like ode to hollywood with steven spielberg and the fablemans um so i thought it was a pretty well balanced and spread out pool i do agree with you i think there might be some category fraud going
1: on this year um, but we can get into that much later i think you make a really good point about like where the oscars are kind of headed and what is the future of that and i don't want to be like uh you know pessimistic but the future is much more blockbusters maybe getting in here in the future uh i know spider-man no way home there was a big push for that like two years ago that didn't actually matter. <laughs> but we have two movies that made a billion plus dollars. Then we have Elvis in the list, which made a ton of money. So I think we're going to really see a lot more social media targeted voting and like stuff like that, which we'll kind of get into later with Andrea Risborough, but it just does feel like a very good year of like, everything's represented. Everything is represented. I mean, you do have women
0: talking in there, which is the only one women orientated project, which is a little problematic. Um, and there's some acting noms that we'll get into later that I think are a little touch and go, but yeah, I think as a whole, I think that things are starting to change and, um, <laughs> Lord knows the viewership needs to go up for the Academy. So they have to do something. And I think like you said, with films like avatar and top gun getting nominated for best picture is a sign of where that's going to go for the next
1: couple of years. We don't have a ton of females in best picture. You're right. But what kind of stood out to me is there are like female roles prominent in a lot of these. Everything Everywhere at Once, quite obviously. The Fablements is a very big female role. Tar, obviously. Top Gun Maverick isn't, (laughs) it's very much a machismo movie, but Jennifer Connolly's role is quite important. Triangle of Sadness and then Woman Talking. So, like, I don't, I do wish there was more representation kind of like in here, but it is sprinkled in enough that, like, I don't feel as if, like, this is Oscars so white this year. No, it's not nearly as bad as years
0: past. And also, like, I think, One thing that like we don't understand because spoiler alert, we're not famous. We're not Hollywood insiders and we don't vote for the Academy. Not yet. This show is going <laughs> to
1: chronicle yet. that rise. Maybe I love that. I love that energy.
0: Um, but it is a click. It is, it is, it is a fraternity or <laughs> of, of like homies who just kind of like have a lot of like sway and say, and I think like you said with Andrea Risborough, we'll get into that. like, the end of the day there will be the surprises and you know those are really exciting to see but there will still always be like the totem poles that are going to get nominated every year you know steven spielberg directs a coming-of-age movie that movie (laughs) didn't do great at the box office as we all know um and i think it was a really good movie but that movie was going to get nominated before it was even thought about or
1: released yeah i mean uh, it just feels like such a classic like this is going to be a best picture contender for the second was kind of announced Because, I mean, we'll talk about the famous kind of a lot today, but it is such an unparalleled Spielberg movie. A lot of his movies are kind of about, like, sad divorce and, like, obviously his his childhood is very influential on him in that regard. But, like, this is barren at all for, like, his entire soul to the Academy. And the fact he's getting up there in age, he's publicly said he thought this was going to be his last project because he didn't know what COVID was going to be. It just... I mean, I'm, I'll just spoil it now. I think it's going to win Best Picture, honestly. Or he's going to win Best mm. Director,
0: too. I, I think he'll win Best. Well, now nah, we just spoiled that for me, too. But, yeah, I think he'll win <laughs> Best Director, too. <laughs> um, but it, it's just, like, it's so, like, Chalk is, is kind of the thing. Yeah. And, and, like, I wouldn't be mad about it. That's the thing is, like, in years past, I think, you know, last year, with Coda winning Best Picture, I think there was some cases to be made where that was, like, okay, that's a little strange in a year where there was, was some was a feel-good. Yeah, there was some other really good work, but yeah, like you said, we're going through some dark times this year. I don't really think that if any of these movies
1: won Best Picture, I would be too upset about it. Uh there's one that would make me really upset. <laughs> oh yeah, and we know all about that. It is Presley. <laughs> like, if I see Tom Hanks on stage with an Oscar in his hand, being like, "Yes, I won," I will be so. Yes, he got nominated for a Razzie. Did you see that? I
0: was just about to say that to you. I was going to say you don't have to worry about that anytime soon because right. he got nominated for two Razzies. <laughs> He's um, but pick just... up some hardware. <laughs> Speaking about some people who are not picking up some hardware, is there anybody this year you think that got kind of shut out or snubbed that you kind of want to give some love to?
1: Uh, I'm going to be the usual myself and say I'm upset the Batman didn't get more than what it got. We've talked about this kind of since the second the movie came out of like the cinematography, especially is the one area I felt this movie was kind of robbed in. And I don't really understand why it was shut out. I I, like when you look at the contenders in there who we don't really have on our list now, we're not going to talk about cinematography too much, but it's a lot of like good, interesting movies that do a lot of like naturalistic kind of work, I believe. And I I don't disagree with the fact that they're there, but what Greg Frazier did with the Batman, and I don't even want to talk about like the subjective work, what he did with the volume background thing, which is for people who don't know, it's a giant digital screen that kind of project a 360 around actors now that can generate like landscapes. So when there's the scenes with Batman and Gordon on top where the bat signal is, that background you see in front of them, that's all digital. That's the volume. Greg Frazier has pioneered that and he uses it so perfectly in that movie that a way in a way that is going to change movies forever. Every single major blockbuster is going to do that moving forward, probably to our detriment <laughs> You know, a movie like Top Gunner, this was filmed five years later. They just had the volume of Tom Cruise in the cockpit, most likely, unless, you know, Tom Cruise is still crazy in five years. The Percy Jackson show on Disney Plus is using the volume, for God's sakes. So to not give him credit, at least for his work, but for what he's basically, you know, really done for the industry, I just felt was really silly, considering he got nominated from Dune last year, which wasn't all that different.
0: I think the separation between that is where Craig Frazier is obviously a great DP. That is a VFX house, which requires a lot not more true. work than just somebody. And then don't, I don't want to say this in a disparaging way, but just <laughs> somebody capturing the images. There's a lot more logistics that go into that. Um, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I do think it was nominated for
1: visual effects. Correct. It was, but I think the cinematography, like
0: I agree with you.
1: In that movie. Yeah. It's just, it's just frustrating. Cause like the three it got are good. But best score you could argue for too Giacchino stuff. I know you and I have been bumping to that all year, like little schoolchildren in the car, just going like do Like, <laughs> hey, can I make a confession? Go ahead. So,
0: can't fight city Halloween was number one on my 2022 Spotify raft, which
1: was for pretty you. depressing. Good for you. I mean, it's it's really odd that that is the the song you go to because it's kind of a darker one. You know, maybe that speaks something about you. It's not like the Bat's True Calling, which is a really beautiful song about Batman waking up and just saving people. But you know, hey, you know, I like I like Stock in the Streets to that. It's it's my tune. Like, I mean, I I can't I can't make fun of you. Like me and my friend, we drove to the movie theater, bumping the Batman theme, the Catwoman theme, and then the Penguin theme, and just singing it out loud the entire time like crazy people. And yeah, that was the other thing too. I think
0: we've talked about a little bit. Um. Super happy with like a lot of the blockbuster, like fan service movies that came out this year. I thought the Batman was great. I thought Top Gun was great. Um, no, I just thought it was a good year for big movies. I thought Avatar was good. It wasn't great in my opinion, but the technical achievements that it's shooting for cannot be, you know, put off to the side or anything like that. So um it was a year of like I thought you're you're right, it was a top heavy year, but I thought there was a lot of really good stuff and usually after i see something recently i'm good with just kind of letting it sit on ice for a little bit but there's a lot of stuff this year that came out that i kind of want to see again relatively soon as do i is there any snubs you want to really talk about real quick or people you just kind of wish maybe got some pop yeah i think um viola davis should have got nominated for the woman king i don't really understand the woman king as a whole kind of mystifies me um it's basically braveheart with african-american women i thought it was a really badass movie Um, at some point it's going to come to Netflix too, which is just a shame because I feel like they kind of dropped the ball on maybe giving this the pop towards Oscar season, Um, kind of hearkening back to that point we were talking about this being a club. Um, It also sometimes matters who has the biggest checkbook and who can reach the most people. Um, And sometimes that's just not the case for certain films. But I feel like they dropped the ball on that one a little bit. Um, I would like to shout out, I agree with Greg Frazier, should have been up for cinematography. Um, I don't really have anybody else that I think got snubbed, but I got some people that I think should probably not be in there.
1: Bones and all, uh, before we get into your thing, uh, I don't... I'm not shocked this got shut out because this is a very, no pun intended, hard movie to digest. It's about children eating people, (laughs) and by children I mean teenagers, (laughs) so it's... I mean, like, I can understand why your typical Oscar voter is like, oh, gross, but to see, like, there's a lot of talented people involved in that movie doing a lot of talented stuff and for it to basically get nothing of like the most important categories was really surprising to me because I thought when I watched it, Mark Rylance, I was like, well, someone's going to think this performance is astounding because he's doing a lot of choices and he'll get an Oscar or he'll get a nomination because he's fucking Mark Rylance. He fucking beat Sly Stallone. It's bullshit.
0: It means unfinished business. Someone
1: just wants some a friend.
0: I kinda I kind of like subtly love that performance.
1: <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like I thought there would be enough people who think that's a really good performance, even though I disagree with them, that it just gets something. Or Chalamet would get something, because he shalom like or Guanino would I don't know. Like I was just surprised that a movie that like had kind of a cult following at one point of the year had like nothing.
0: Yeah, I think that kind of came out in a low period. Um one thing that's I loved true. about that movie was and why i think it should have been nominated for cinematography was it made the grotesque look beautiful like the the wide open vistas of the united states like i thought those okay, looked really was, cool and I like i thought you were going to talk about the
1: the scene where she bites a little girl's finger off that was where you lost me for a second i mean
0: i th- i think that scene looks really cool i love the lighting in that scene like really? it really like they they really captured like that time period of america well i thought like the set design sure. and 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 all of that stuff was so well done um, like that kind of grainy texture feel to like almost filmic feel to the movie. I really enjoyed as well. I really like that movie and it, it's spoiler alert, going to make an appearance on my top 10 and, and kind of falls what in that movie? same category of uh, no pun intended, but I'm still chewing over a lot of things from that movie. We
1: think we're so clever today. It's not even funny. <laughs> we're on the red carpet, baby. got to be hot and ready to go. I think cinematography is the, is the area kind of it missed out because I'm looking at it now it's tar Empire of Light, Elvis Bardo, which I haven't seen in Alcorn on the Western Front, which I've yet to see as well. I, I, I just, I don't I've heard Empire of Light is fine, but not like overly impressive, so maybe that's just like a legacy nod to Deacons. I've heard that movie's I, I don't know. Yes, as have I. I've heard there's a lot of weird stuff in that movie that makes yes. me question who Sam Mendes is, because apparently the Coleman's based off his mother, so it's like, whoa, bro. Yeah, your mom was a I'm little freak, huh? a therapist. Yeah, I just could <laughs> see a therapist, brohan. Yeah. <laughs> So, just kind of some general notes before we kind of dig deep, deeper here. Everything everywhere all at once with 11 nominations. That is not as much as last year's number one, which I'm forgetting right now at the top of my head, but this isn't like an absurd amount, but it is pretty good. Behind it, that is an absurd amount. Okay. All right. All 11 right, is an absurd amount. <laughs> slap me back, babe. I like it when you do this.
0: I mean, like, what's, what else could it not like be nominated for? You know what I mean? Like, 12 is crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is true. All right, I'll take it back. Maybe I'll just cut this. No, I won't.
0: Like fourteen is like the the most all time. So
1: I feel like a lot of movies get like eleven to twelve now, though. Like the big, not a lot, I guess. I should say like there's two to three that get a bunch. Like The Irishman got a bunch. You know, like I I I guess I don't know. Regardless, that
0: usually just another little note to that. That never translates to to best picture. Like that doesn't usually mean that it's gonna win. But
1: anyways, that's a discussion for later. We'll get we'll get to that later. Behind it with nine nominations for *All Quiet on the Western Front* and *The Banshees of Inisherin*. Also, after back-to-back female best directors winners in Jane Campion and, uh, oh man, uh, *Nomadland*. Chloe Zhao, Chloe Zhao. There we go. Uh, this category is all men this year, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel's back. So, if people are hoping to watch, get ready for Guillermo. Woo! Yay! Do you like Kimmel at all for this or no?
0: Um. I'm pretty much okay on all the late night talk show guys. You, you can kind of yeah. keep them. You know who they should have had hosted? host it? You and I?
1: No, I was going to say Chris Rock and Will Smith. That'd just be an enta- like entertaining three hours of television. <laughs> they have to fill it from different locations so they don't like accidentally fight each other.
0: Let's get into the nominees this year because there are quite a few. <laughs> um, we're going to start off with Best Supporting Actress. So as we get the ball rolling here um i just kind of like a quick precursor to how we're going to do this we're going to say the category run through who's nominated and then pick our favorite or the front runner um josh you want to start off with best supporting actress
1: I'll also add, before we get going, these are, are listed in alphabetical order. I did not try and, like...
0: Because <laughs> I'm sure the audience anyone. totally
1: needs to know that.
0: I'm sure that's that's. I something. mean, there's a
1: bunch of conspiracy theories out there. You know, we're going to have a Reddit page someday, okay. maybe. And they're going to be like, man, you see how he had Carrie Condon first? So I wanted to you know, get ahead of that ball, Nick. Okay, hey, for you. And we're also going in order the actual show for the most part. So we will be getting Best Picture, Best Director pretty much last. Angela Bassett for Black Panther is your first nominee. Hong Chao for The Whale. Carrie Condon for Banshee's Van Assuren. Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere at Once. And Stephanie Hsu for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Those are your nominees. I think this is Hong Chao's year. I think she... Really?
0: Yeah, I've, I loved her in The Menu, and I kind of wanted her to get nominated for The Menu more than The Whale.
1: But I feel like this nomination
0: is for The Menu almost, if that makes sense.
1: That is a ballsy thing to say when Angela Bassett's won every single category that's like this.
0: I do it every single award show. (laughs) You say that, but that that doesn't
1: mean anything. I don't know. I think when she wins SAG and BAFTA and the Golden Globe, it just kind of tells me that everyone's kind of aligned on it. There's been multiple times where people have won SAG
0: and BAFTA and the Oscars gone to somebody else.
1: I know, but I just... I don't know. I I got a weird feeling. I have some weird juju with the Oscars, Nick, as you can attest. And I just... I think it's fair to say she's at least a frontrunner. I think Hong Chao is maybe a dark a dark, uh, dark horse. Yeah, I'm taking Hong Chao. I, I don't think that... I think
0: the fact that I th- a lot of people thought Black Panther was going to get nominated for Best Picture, and this is its only nomination, unless there's something in the technical side, which are very well could be that I'm not aware of, doesn't like inspire me to be like, oh yeah, Angela Bassett's a lock.
1: It's true, but it could also go the other way of like it's got so little everywhere else that they're gonna give it what they can. Got everything everywhere all at once <laughs> welcome. should Jamie Lee Curtis be in here? honestly, like uh, what what did you think of her performance? I feel like both the everything everywhere
0: are a little I'm a little skeptical on both because neither of those characters really have a lot of screen time. I know Stephanie Zoo probably has more than um Jamie Lee Curtis, but I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really glom much for either from either of those characters throughout the movie. It seemed like a, a quite a singular journey of Michelle Yeoh's character until I would say basically the end of the movie and then it kind of reinforces the themes of family and stuff like that. And honestly, where the movie loses me.
1: Okay. I think Stephanie Zoo is probably more deserving than Jamie Lee Curtis. Curtis is <laughs> just doing a lot of like grumpy office worker from queens who accent changes like every five minutes like sometimes she's she's a lady from queens and then she just jamie lee curtis and she just ranges from that to grumpy and like angry and shouting there are some like really nice tender scenes she has where she's just saying nothing but i i'm a little confused why dolly de leon there has been a lot of talk about her from triangle of sadness mm. i thought she was really great in that movie and if you sub jamie lee curtis for her i think that'd make a lot of sense you know what? That that's actually a really good pull. I think that's a great pick.
0: He I takes would... over that movie completely. Yeah, especially in the second half. Oh yeah, on the island, <laughs> she takes, <laughs> oh, she takes so over. Great. Harris Dickinson, boy. That that's that's gonna be creeping up my list. I can tell years to come. Okay,
1: Harry okay. Condon. I'm surprised there hasn't been a lot of talk as her. Maybe she's a dark horse as well. I thought she was really good in, in Banshees, but I think. I'm gonna always say my front runner before we move on is Angela Bassett. She's gonna be my pick ultimately. Nick, where are you going? Going Hong Chow for the Whale. Okay. I respect it. I respect it. You're a bold fella. You want to give us best supporting
0: actor? Yeah, sure. I'll run through it. Best supporting actor in alphabetical order. Complete coincidence. No, no influence from the Road Dogs committee here. Uh, we JFK. have Brendan. Gle- <laughs> we have Brendan Gleeson for Banshees. I am Tyree Henry for Causeway. Rudd Hirsch for his nine-minute ramblings in the Fablemans. Okay. Jerry Keohan for Banshees. Shout out to the Irishman. Um, And please forgive me if I butcher this this gentleman's name. E. Haekwon for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once.
1: Yeah, I... This is the area where I have the most quote-unquote snubs. I don't know about you. I don't really
0: think there's that many snubs. I think this is this is the only one where I think, um, kind of like you say, where he's just been nominated for everything and won everything that I think he's going to win it, but I'll let you start. I think this I'm is, surprised. I think this might be the most locked category.
1: Oh, it's over. It, it is, it is quants for everything everywhere. All at once. Like there's no, yes. doubt about it. yes. Yeah. Everything else is just kind of filler, which is why it's not like the end of the world that Judd Hirsch got nominated. Cause he, uh, can we talk about Judd Hirsch now in, in the fablements? Yeah. But can I just say one thing first real Go quick? Ahead. Go ahead.
0: Please. I was really surprised that his counterpart, Paul Dana, was not nominated in this category. That's
1: what I was going to get to. I I think Hirsch is fine, but he's kind of just one note crazy guy where Dano's doing so much little work. I was really hoping he'd get nominated. Maybe because I love Paul Dano, but I think he's way more deserving. He's in way more than movie. He's doing a lot more complex emotional stuff. And he's really playing against type. He's not manic, you know, like. Obsessive compulsive, like insane person. He's just like a dad, like a weird dad. He's not singing Ave
0: Maria to the Batman through <laughs> a holding cell. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, hundred percent. I thought it was where Michelle Williams and the things that detracted to the movie for me was when she was so loud and and just like <laughs> kind of like almost too vibrant for the movie. Um, I really loved Paul Dano's reserved, sullen kind of like melancholy to divorce. Like he really like let work get in the way. Throughout the movie you can tell the character let work really mm-hmm. get in the way of his family, but it's not really done in these big argument throw down fight scenes with Paul Dano's character. He's really quite a tempered and measured father, um, which I thought was a really great performance and I I, I felt like he was kind of a stump too.
1: He has two terrific scenes. The first is in the car when he's driving Sammy back, and he's talking about like, well, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to how everything like was made, and he kind of dismisses it as a hobby, the filmmaking, and just the way Dano plays it is just really, really smart. Of like, I'm encouraging you, go ahead. I want to guess what the second one was, and you're done. But yeah, keep going. Go ahead. You can edit. He's, you can edit that out. He's an encouraging, loving father, and at the same time, he has to drop this nuke on his kid to be like, well, it's just a hobby. Like you got to figure out what you want to be and where you want to go with your life, which is again the central heart of the movie. Which you can communicate with that, in, in like giving recognition to the families for that idea. Where you don't need Judd Hirsch because he's basically saying the same thing. The second Nick, I'll let you guess, what is it? I from?
0: think it. I think it's a scene where Sammy has the panic attack and he yes. gives him the tea and calms him down. I mean that scene's incredible. I mean I've never really understood all this film stuff. Like, he's he's incredible in that scene. I love that. Like, that scene actually got me pretty misty when I was watching it.
1: The the moment in that scene that really gets me is when, like, Dano gets the piece, the picture, the photograph of his kids with Benny and Michelle Williams. Doesn't say a single thing, just puts it back on the table, and Sammy, like, we cut to it, and Sammy grabs it. It communicates so much because that character is very reserved and, like, disassociative kind of but he truly loves his family. He's not playing a robot. He's playing someone who just, like, you know, people can blame his character for they want. of Like, well, he's so emotionally detached. That's why they get divorced. But he was the one trying to put all the money on the table for them in the first place. He was doing it all for them. And then it falls apart. And I think a performance like that deserves way more credit than Judd Hirsch is being like, ah, family, what are you going to do? It's so crazy. It's just like, ugh. I think I, I do love how he holds, like, a...
0: Such a big, like, moral conundrum for Sammy's character, you know, like, yeah. do you want to pursue your passion of being a filmmaker, or do you want to be a family man? You can't have both. They don't exist in the same world. I thought that was really interesting, and it it's most certainly a rumination on Steven Spielberg in looking back on 30-plus years of being on a film set, probably more than at home. Um, I found that to be kind of fascinating. So I think what pushed Judd Hirsch over the top, maybe, was the context of their conversation, I agree with you. I think if you wanted to look at the longevity of the work, I think Paul Dano is much better
1: throughout the film. And not to mention, I think part of this, Judd Hirsch is an aging, great actor who's probably not going to get a lot of performances that are of this caliber again. Whereas the rationalization, and this is what I hate with the Oscars and kind of like sports awards in general, is like, well, he'll be back. The other actor will be back. The other athlete will be back next year. Like, he'll get it again sometime. It's like, well, we don't know that guarantee which is really Yeah, silly. take it from like, a Packers fan. We'll be back. I means shit. Okay, so maybe just nominate the best guy, like Paul Dano. Uh, a couple other people I thought maybe should have gotten a nomination here. Brad Pitt. I haven't seen Babylon, but I think that's a movie that's kind of tailor-made and that role is tailor-made for a Best Supporting nomination. I have not seen Babylon, but I talked with a couple of my pals at school today who have seen it, and
0: they're Favorite thing about it is the exact reason why it wasn't nominated. And it was like, I was so happy to see a filmmaker just go for it. I'm not interested in the fodder of affairs. I'm really not interested in telling a story that's cohesive. I'm interested in capturing people at a moment in time in this world. And like, I think that's why that movie didn't really connect with a lot of people. I mean, I showed Katie the trailer to that, and we were going to possibly go see it. And she was like, I don't know. It doesn't really seem like there's like much of a plot or like much of a story. I was like, yeah, well, you know, it's Hollywood.
1: That's what we like. The 1920s,
0: <laughs> the 1930s. What more do you need? And Margot Robbie's in it, and so is Brad Pitt. But mm-hmm. I think that movie is, is... What people like about it is exactly the things the Academy dislikes and why movies like that don't get nominated if that makes sense
1: there's a spit in the academy's face like that movie is all about how like like not monstrous but how there's a ton of skeletons in hollywood's closet and i think that's probably part of the reason they don't like that
0: movie yeah definitely that's one i need to go see though i wish we lived not you know maybe three thousand miles apart because then we could go to a movie theater and see it
1: together but every week we do it my hot take here for this category, Brian Tyree Henry would win if Quan wasn't in this category. You have not seen Causeway. I have. He is terrific in Causeway, doing a lot of different things, and I think he's a terrific actor, and I'm so glad he got nominated for this.
0: I love Brian Tyree Henry going back to the Atlanta days. He's amazing in that show. I loved him in Bullet Train. Great and If Beale Street Could Talk, which was the movie that I thought he would probably be nominated for that he didn't get nominated for. So I think this might be the Academy kind of saying, oh, we dropped the ball. Let, let's get this guy who's just dues. He he really went went for it this year. Um, I need to see
1: Causeway. Is is Jennifer Lawrence good but, in that? Don't answer that question. She's quite good. She's quite good. Okay. Right. Don't answer the question. I will anyways. And before <laughs> we move on, I want to, I wanna, you know, it's, it's notable to say Tom Hanks did not get a nomination. Which is why, Nick, I think we should put an award in here before we move on. It's called the Colonel Tom Parker Award. I have five nominees. I came up with five today, and I think we should give one to someone. Okay. Let's hear them. So the obvious obvious one is, congratulations, Tom Hanks. You did get a nominator in the Colonel Tom Parker Award for playing Colonel Tom Parker. I know it was a big feat. It was touch and go there a couple times, but you did get the nomination. Second, Talked about him once, we're going to talk about again. It's me, Sully. Mark Rylance and Bones and all. You are also a nominee of the Colonel Tom Park Award for this year. Colin Farrell, get that suit and tie back on. You're in too for Colin Farrell as in the Batman. I'm just a proprietor, okay? Oh, what are you doing to me here? <laughs> Jesus, what are you showing me that fool? He's just, wow. Number four. Ray Fiennes in the menu. Congratulations, Rafe. You didn't get a best supporting actor. You got the one that mattered, the Colonel Tom Parker Award nomination. It means no substitutions. <laughs> Number five. I was struggling at this point, and I couldn't think of anyone else, so I just wrote the Russian guy in Triangle of Sadness. I, I'm sure that's his real voice.
0: I sell shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm sure that's his real voice and he's not making a lot of choices in that role but i was like ah you know kind of
0: i love the part when he's hammered and he grabs a microphone and he's just like hey this is the new captain now <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're going to all day it's just like jesus this guy's awful i hate him So, oh, there's two ways i could go
0: with my okay. with my winner here um I enjoy the Mark Rylance, so I could go the the Al Brooks route here and be like, "Oh, there's four or five choices in this movie. Like, I'm not gonna repeat it." But when he's just dropping sea bombs, just like screaming and drooling, I mean, that's yeah. just absolutely insane. Which I The drool I love. is the
1: worst part. The drool Look. is
0: really bad. Um, so, I mean, that would probably be my pick. Um, but you know, I really enjoy yeah. having, really enjoy having <laughs> the Russian guy from Triangle
1: Sadness in there too. <laughs> Are you seeing? We're gonna give it to the Russian instead of to Tom Hanks for playing Colonel Tom Parker in the Colonel Tom Parker Award category. Well, okay, let's talk. This I mean, it's already
0: it's already named after him, so it's kind of like redundant to give him want? the award. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just kind of being selfish at this point. Like no Hanks. You know what I mean? I'm all set. I'm gonna go ahead and you know I'm what? gonna to put my foot down, and I'm going to give it to Mark Rylance. His performance,
1: his performance is so shitty we give it to Mark Rylance. Sorry, Tom. I know you're, you're the namesake of the category, but maybe don't do that stupid fucking accent next time, pal. Maybe we should like turn it into the Colonel uh, Tom Parker slash Sully Award. Maybe. I think maybe every couple months we can maybe rename it, so maybe next time we come back it'll be the Sully Award. We'll do some Sully okay. impressions, and maybe maybe Excellent. Colonel Tom Parker takes a break, which sucks because I just made the fucking theme for it like four episodes ago. God <laughs> damn it. You know, fuck it. Colonel Top Parker. saying I'm not remaking another theme. God damn it. Hey.
0: Alright, so I guess we move on to our next category, which is the Best Adapted Screenplay. We have All Quiet on the Western Front, Last Onion, which is based off of Knives Out, which makes it a Best Adapted Screenplay. Kind of a mm-hmm. loophole there. I'm Living, Top Gun Maverick, same thing, it's based off prior IP, and Women Talking, which I believe is based off a novel. Is that correct? No, that is correct. Okay, cool. Yeah,
1: you got in this? Uh, i don't know this these are the kind of categories where like i could see anything winning i don't think glass onion will win uh i just really yeah i just think it's another movie of like eat the rich that i don't think a lot of people are going to want to like congratulate it for because there's a lot of miles in hollywood i hate to tell them but the stupid people that are somehow you mean the guy who's playing are... miles <laughs> Yeah, Edward Norton just showed up on set as himself. That was actually his wardrobe and his his mansion. Yeah, so I think a
0: Riceboro nominated, but we don't have to go down that road.
1: I think Women Talking is probably going to win. It didn't get a lot of pop in other other categories, from what I've heard. It's a really well done script. Um, I know the concept is basically just like surprise: women talk, but they're like in a barn for majority of the movie. So like, how do you mm-hmm. write a script that is engaging and entertaining and grapples with a lot of? Intense themes while it's so centrally located. So I'm just I'm I don't really know on this one, but I will guess it'll be that.
0: It is a lot of mental and physical gymnastics to go through. Mm-hmm. Um I think I'm gonna take Glass Onion in this one. I think it's the best script out of all well. I haven't seen All Quiet or Living. No, yeah. Or women. Women talking, really. So three out of the five. <laughs> so so three out of the five. No big deal. Although um, the two I have seen, I like the other script more no i i felt like this was i didn't think there was a there was a push for glass onion to be nominated for more than it was like best picture and best director and a lot of that stuff and i don't know about you when i saw it i didn't really feel that vibe but i was like i could see this winning at least adapted screenplay i don't really think this is an overly powerful category this year you've got all quiet on the western front which is a remake cool living i haven't really heard a lot of people bring that movie up until the last couple of weeks with bill nighy um, Top Gun Maverick's a good movie, but I don't, again, which is really strange. is like Paramount just like not want Top Gun to win anything. Like it, they, I've, they, they, they like shot their shot way too early with all the cruise talk and the ads and making it a big announcement that was going to Paramount Plus, And now it's just hush. Like it's completely gone quiet. It's not a great script either. It's not a great script, but I mean, I, that's another reason why I think it has glass onion has a strong case to win. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take glass onion in this one.
1: I think I'm empowering this is woman talking All Quiet on the Western front glass onion living or Top Gun Maverick living, uh, you know, whatever's left. I think all quiet is one to keep an eye out. It's got a lot of noms. As we said at the top nine nominations, I find it hard to believe that it can get that many and come away with so little. I think it'll probably get a lot of the technical categories. Maybe. I, I don't know. I've been meaning to watch that movie. It's just, I I've read about some of the changes they made from the book, which I really, really love. And it's just kind of a tough sell to me to be like, all right, there's some fundamental parts of the story that we changed that uh, just don't sit right with me. So maybe I'll get to it someday. I want to watch it, but it is two and a half
0: hours, and it's a World War One movie, and like you just got to be in the mood to watch like
1: (laughs) carnage war, I guess. Like, it's not just any World War One movie, Nick. It is the most depressing World War One story you will ever read or watch about. I promise when we do the Oscars reaction episode, I promise I will have watched by then, but right now it's just uh, it's on the shelf. Okay, fair enough. That's original screenplay. We have Banshees and Assyrian, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Tar, The Fable Men's and Triangle of Sadness. I don't. Hmm. I think this is a really good year for original screenplay. I've really enjoyed all these
0: movies, I thought they're really well written scripts. You got Tony Kushner working alongside Steven Spielberg, so you know that's going to be great. Um, I think the Daniels, <laughs> I love what the Daniels are doing. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I love it. Um, and I listened to an interview with them where they talked about how they're really not influenced by film. They really don't watch a lot of movies. So I'm really interested to see where they go with their career. Todd Field, like he has to be like in the upper pantheon of like just absolute home run hitters. You know, uh, he, he's it's like Mariano Rivera he's three for three he's made three movies and all of them have gotten like all the big category nominations like (laughs) that was your comparison your sports comparison well in the sense it's just like unprecedented greatness like three things in a row that get nominated for like best original screenplay best picture best director like it's kind of like that cutter you're just not gonna hit it
1: got a better chance of walking on the moon babe what a, Okay, I, this is a slight already, so I know you're going to disagree. What about, like, Nick Foles? Like, he comes in every once in a while, every once in a blue moon, comes in, throws some dimes, gets you maybe a win or two. But now, that's the closer mentality. A, a closer comes in for yeah. one inning. That's true, but, but Todd Fields has only made, like, three movies. So, like, I have a hard time granted to a closer who's out there maybe every other night. That's what I'm going with. You know, maybe there's not a perfect sports comparison. Maybe that's what we're learning right now is maybe we should stop trying to make everything back to sports, you know?
0: Uh so I thought this was a really rich year as far as screenplays go. Um it's so hard to not like get caught up in the everything everywhere minutia. I just feel like that thing is just it's the one year where thing where something's been nominated so many times where I'm like, Oh, this might have that year where it wins eight out of the eleven it's dominated for or whatever it may be. Um but I really love the script of Banshees, so I'm gonna take Banshees. It's a personal pick. I don't
1: think I don't think they could go wrong in a lot of categories or a lot of places other than like triangle of sadness. I like that movie, but I don't, I don't love it for the script where they basically just take the whole second act off and they're just like, ah, yes. The second act of I'm rich and I'm bad. And the political commentary.
0: Yeah. Political commentary between Woody Harrelson and the Russian gentleman, whose name is eluding me. It it, it gets a little taxing, but that movie's,
1: final act on the island is incredible. <laughs> it's great stuff, but I don't know if we can... I would be very, not annoyed. i just be like, really, we're going to give it to that movie, considering it does everything else that we just kind of talked about, where the last third is really where it kind of hammers home. Even the first act, I, I think it's good, it's interesting, but it's not like, wow, this is a, a terrific script. I think it's probably more of a better direction job. It's a lot of setup. The first half is a lot of a lot setup. The first Up. act, yeah. Mm, yeah, I think *Fablemans* is just kind of... Saving its juices for later. So I think we will both say Banshees. There was times in the
0: Fableman script where I was really frustrated. Children don't speak like that. Children don't deal with divorce like that. Bullies don't respond like that. It was just, there was some stuff in there that I was just like,
1: this is not good. Like, Okay, we're talking with Fableman. The one big issue I have with that movie, I have a couple. But it is a very nuanced, interesting movie about people and these gender roles of like these classical times of like the mother the father the kids like how do they all fit it wasn't just one big happy family and it's so deftly maneuvered that when they get these bullies and there's so one note besides the second one who then has a conversation by the lockers it's like really this is how we're handling this subject is like the second bully is completely irrelevant where he's just like throwing out jewish slurs and he's just like i'm gonna beat your ass it's like, oh God, like that is, it just, it ruined the flow for me. Cause I was like, this is so like hitting me over the head of what this periarch was supposed to be. Yeah. I thought the
0: like scene where it was raining out was so expertly lit and like shot the dialogue yes. between him and his sister. I was like, this is how two adults talk. Like it's... children wouldn't be able to like
1: process divorce. It just didn't work for me at times with the script. I mean, maybe cause it was written by two like 60 to 70 year old men who were like, I don't know what kids sound like anymore because I'm so old.
0: Yeah, I don't know, but I I like that movie on the whole. But yeah, like you said, it does have its issues.
1: Best editing, Nick. You tell me who you got.
0: Editing, we have Banshees once again, Elvis. Mm, Interesting. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Tar and Top Gun Maverick.
1: Mm The the mm, how do I say this like politically correctly? (laughs) The uh... I can answer this one first if you want. No, I got this. The worshipping of Elvis is just it's just insane for the most part. It's got, I think, uh, what is it, five to six nominations for for stuff and like the other technical stuff. I know it's got cinematography. I did not come away with from that movie being like, wow, what a technical masterpiece. And the editing, I thought was the worst part of it.
0: I think it does a lot of like flashy things. And, and really <laughs> goes for a lot of stuff in the editing room you know the stuff with the spinning wheel and then the dissolve of elvis's face on the wheel and then oh the wheel God. turns into the hospital gurney and colonel's getting wheeled into the hospital so there's like five different metaphors through that edit about wheels and time and life and death Stupid. so I, I i agree with you wow very on the nose and, and over the top um, that stuff takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot of money, and it takes a lot of effort, and it takes a whole team to make those transitions happen, to make those dissolves happen. So, where I don't necessarily think the movie was that great, I definitely think—do I think the cinematography in Top Gun: Maverick should have been nominated over the cinematography in Elvis? One million percent. But I can't fully decry this this movie's achievements technically. Okay, I'll
1: say it's a, it's impressively hollow. The editing in Elvis. <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> impressively hollow it's it's interesting and it's but it doesn't communicate a whole lot to me of like wow this is really, it's more like distracting and nauseating for me and i can't speak for the academy voters but baz lerman is someone where you got to be all in or you're not gonna be in at all and i've seen the great gatsby and i've seen elvis and one of the movies that i'm blanking on i don't like pretty much any of them or the style he applies to them it's just very distracting and just it takes me out of the movies a lot of the time, yeah, i I won't return to Elvis anytime soon.
0: No if you're looking for a good, you know, study on Elvis, I highly recommend you go watch the
1: two- part documentary Elvis yes. Pressley, The Searcher on HBO Max. It's fantastic, yes. and not just like really, like interesting. The way it is done of like we never actually see the people that are being interviewed. It's just their voices with pictures from the time or video expert stuff. It's great. Expert stuff as well is why I think Everything Everywhere is going to win this category. That is editing that is impressively poignant. And how quick the cuts are and how much they communicate. And that is a movie that could easily be kind of a mess. And it kind of is. But it's a mess intentionally, I think, in some parts where you're supposed to be quite distracted and kind of feel what everyone's feeling. Whereas I don't think a lot of the other movies kind of come up with that. I think Tar is a movie that I was like, really? Best editing? I, it's not... That wasn't my big takeaway from Tar. It was like, wow, really interesting editing.
0: Cannot start without me.
1: Um, no, I
0: agree with you. My thing with, my thing with Tar is the movie does such a great job of keeping all of the tension in twos. Let's break that down for people who may not there understand a two A two-shot involves <laughs> keeping two subjects in focus, usually two people. It kept all of the conversation and controversy in in intimacy in two shots all the time that I was like, Oh man, this is such a great distinctive choice. Like why did he do that? Like now I feel like I'm a dirty little perv, like peeping in on this voyeuristic, like yeah. conversation between these like maestros. I, I really enjoyed the editing of that movie, but like you said, it didn't do enough to me like from a technical aspect to be nominated. I thought that was kind of a, a shoe in, but I was really happy to see Tar get some love because that's one of my will
1: reveal top five movies of the year um yeah i i think top gun's maybe the dark horse here because i just think people love that movie and people are going to want to reward it with something
0: that, that i was just about to say I, I can't imagine top gun goes home completely empty-handed it's got to be this right
1: i don't i don't know like we don't have the whole list in front of us of like everything you got nominated for but i don't think it's gonna win best editing it's not gonna win best adapted screenplay
0: it's Those not picture I love I love Banshees. What does the editing do in that movie?
1: That that, that really that's the same
0: kind of thing. I feel, but elevates it. I mean, I love the beautiful drone shots of the Irish coast, but like that's direction. I, it's not editing. That's direct. Exactly. That's direction. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's location. That's not the editing of the movie. So this seems like a little bit of a weak category
1: to me. Mm-hmm. That's why I think everything everywhere. That's why I think everything everywhere. So like obviously the one. Because it is a very edit heavy movie of like, we are cutting so goddamn much between so yeah. many goddamn things. And yet it all works pretty well that I just think that's kind of going to boil it down to that. That's that's a
0: pretty solid point. But, you know, what I kind of like is we haven't really had the same picks. That's true. So,
1: that's true. so you're, you're you know going what?
0: to I take TG Everett. It can't Ever. it can't go all home right. with nothing.
1: You really threw me for a fucking loop there when you said TG. I was like, "There's not a movie called TG on this list." And then, thank you, thankfully, you added the little colon there. Got you. I'll give you a colonoscopy. Be. Best director. We're getting to the big guns here.
0: We're rounding the corner to some of the big guns. Mm-hmm.
1: We have Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schneider for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Todd Field for Tar. Martin McDonough for Banshees of Inisherin. In- 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 Ruben Ostlund for Triangle of Sadness, and Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. I don't want to go through all of these one by one and kind of talk about what they're good at, what they're not at. Cause I, I think we both know where we're going to land, but this is a very interesting category of people. Yeah. So the Daniels, um, I don't think they're going to get it just because they're younger guys who, again, it's the same thing that applies with Dano and a lot of other people we might talk about. They're young. They'll come back for other stuff, such, so on and so forth. And I just think they're not going to have the same appreciation for that movie the way that the the way the internet does, where a lot of the direction is very action focused and like frantic and frenetic, and I just don't think that's something the academy's be like, oh yes. Whereas something like Tar feels like a much more complete kind of cohesion of like master of his craft sort of thing, that is more palatable and accessible.
0: I think I don't think the Daniels are really interested in making Oscar stuff. No. I think they I think literally they got here. <laughs> I think they stumbled into these 11 nominations. They're like, we're here right now. So, this might be one of those things, like you're saying, We're like, oh, they'll be back here. They'll be back here. I don't think they're really too interested in being back here, which makes me a little bit more keen to think that they might get some wins, like you're saying. I'm just not betting. It's kind of like Tom Brady, as we go back to sports analogies. I'm just not, I'm not betting against Steven what do we learn? I'm, I'm not betting against
1: Steven Spielberg
0: in a category of, for best director. I'm just not.
1: No. Martin McDonough, I think, is maybe the second runner for this. I, do you? Are you in Todd Field second or McDonough second? I mean, I think Banshees is. I think this
0: is a two-horse race for best picture. I think it's between Everything Everywhere and Banshees. Everything else, I think, might be up for grabs. But I think, as far as best picture, it's those two movies.
1: And I think McDonough's direction is a big part of that. The performances he gets out of really the four characters in the movie are so goddamn good. They're all known for Oscars, all four of them. Farrell, Keown, Condon, Gleason. They're so good, and that's not even touching. Like, It is one of the most beautiful-looking movies of the year. And not just cinematography, just like the landscapes he captures and the choices he makes are just incredible stuff.
0: It used to be nice. Now you're just... Oh, nice. Fucking hell, it's a great
1: movie. It might be the movie I go back and rewatch first. It might be too, because it's like, it's a real bummer, but it is fun along the way before we kind of fall off the
0: cliff. It's a real bummer, but like, I have felt every single emotion that both of those characters have felt at one point with with (laughs) one certain, like any friendship, like take your pick. So it is a really cool, like, like study on male friendship and like
1: male relationships. I really love that. So it talks about something which we'll, we'll get to later when we get to our top 10 movies of the year it gets to something that I haven't really seen a lot of, like, what does an artist owe their morality? And not just, like, the question of, like, when it's in conflict and stuff like that, but legitimately questioning it within the film where the character is. We're not having, like, the the analyst be like, ooh, I think this movie's about this. Brennan Gleason often is like, but what does being nice get you? Like, that idea is really profound and interesting to me as someone that likes to create things of, like, well, should I be nicer to people? Does it matter if I'm nice to people? Like, what do you sacrifice to try and get the most out of your art. Right. And I just, I, but then again, Spielberg legacy pick. He does direct the hell out of the Fablemans. I, I it's not my favorite movie of the year, but again, to get really soft performances from like the child actors, especially is really incredible. The fact mm-hmm. that he was doing it all in COVID, whereas I don't know if everything else kind of was. And mm-hmm. just some of the, the choices he makes of like when he's recreating the films and the way in when he chooses to go back from like footage of the camera shooting the movie and then just like himself shooting the movie are really, really interesting and well done. Yeah, I thought this was the year of the dudes in their mid to late years, like reckoning,
0: reckoning with a life of making movies. It was like <laughs> Bardo, this Armageddon time. I'd love this movie, but I agree with you. Like I felt like it could have been about probably 25 minutes shorter um some of the performance is really good i'm gonna keep an eye out for gabrielle labelle like you said it's really really good performance by like a young actor who's being asked to do a lot of things sometimes multiple throughout a scene um and like spielberg has not lost his fastball he directs the hell out of this movie like you said i wasn't a huge fan of west side story but the movie looked immaculate so Mm
1: -hmm.
0: i think that at this point it's it's just his award to lose it's like probably like you said he thought this was gonna be his last movie it's his most deeply it's all of his movies have had elements of his life whether it's et or indiana jones or poltergeist or take your pick jaws they've all had some like ruminations on his like upbringing and his family but this is the movie that obviously is the most deeply poignant about those themes i just don't see him not winning an oscar for this i guess
1: the the vulnerability he has to like open up this chapter of his life which no one really knew about which is the fact that his mother had an emotional affair with uh his father's best friend no one knew about this <laughs> like it was a secret i think most of his family didn't know about until this movie was being basically circled and announced and kind of like coming together where yeah, I, he I specifically he waited
0: was- until after his parents yes. passed away to to make this movie and i don't know if you've seen some interviews with paul dano but he says like spielberg was an open book to him like
1: yes literally <laughs> an
0: open book old family scrapbooks stories about like how his father used to dress what he used to like do when he drank his coffee like just like down to the nitty-gritty like to just bury your soul like that in a really personal and deeply poetic way I, I think he does deserve some recognition for that. And again, somebody who has made a a lifetime of making movies and entertaining us. So um, I wouldn't be, like I said, there's not too many
1: of these that I would be upset about winning. So I'm going to take Spielberg in this. I think we're going to get a crying Spielberg on stage. I kind of want to see some Spielberg tears, man. Just like, let me see this old geezer. Just, you know, shed out some emotion.
0: Give me a speech that reminds me why I like, we want to make movies. Give me, give me one of those ones. Yes best actor. Nick, take it away. We've got awesome butler for Elvis. The blood-sucking toad. I'm going to do an impersonation for every nom. Like okay, all right, all right, let's go. We've got Colin Farrell for Banshees
1: as I did earlier. Um so I'll skip over that one. We've got Brendan be really Fraser. Hard for you to do Paul Mescal when you haven't seen the movie, so I'm really curious what you pull out here, but we've got Brendan Fraser for the Whale.
0: I need to know that I have done one good
1: thing with my
0: life. There you go. That was good. That um, was good. We've got Paul Mescal in After Sun. I haven't seen mm-hmm. this movie.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah yes,
0: my daughter come to visit me for a weekend. Why? He's Italian? Why is he Italian all of a sudden? He's an Irish oh. actor. How dare you? Oh, How doesn't dare you insult in my ministry?
1: my fucking my
0: fucking king, Paul oh, Mescal. That's Maskell. my bad. I thought it took place in Italy this whole time.
1: It does, but he's not Italian.
0: Oh well, he's that's Irish. Then we have it, Bill Nighy for Living, a movie that I have yeah. also not seen. So, am oh, Bill
1: Nighy,
0: I'm nominated for Living.
1: That's my Bill Nighy, I just want to say that I'm really good at the movie about time. That's my <laughs> my Nighy
0: impression. <laughs> it's like on the screen where they play the like brief little clip from yeah. the movie that year. Like that's not, it's just me doing the impersonations. And then
1: me just being like, oh, I'm really good and about time. It's like, everyone should go watch that week, by the way. They don't want to cry. speaking going to cry. Maybe I'll we're going to have that on his phone and then just walk up to stage and it'll be awesome. <laughs> this is a two horse race at this point, quite honestly, I think it's Colin Farrell and Austin Butler, which kind of stinks because it's less entertaining, but I don't think you could find any more performers that are more worthy of like making a two horse race like this.
0: You really think that Brendan Fraser has that little of a chance?
1: I do. I, I hate to go back to the, like the awards prior to, but the fact he got shut out for pretty much everything, it just tells me I don't. I think the academy is. Did he get shut out from? Really, well, he didn't win. I guess is what I'll say. He wasn't not nominated, but he didn't win BAFTA or SAG or Golden Globes. I think. Well, I think he won. He won one of the three. I want to say. Did and more. That's, than, that's yeah. not. A
0: ne- that's not a lock for not winning best actor. I
1: know, Nick. I just. I. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just was. it's weird logic. I can't I can't go with that. I mean I, I don't know what's so weird about like people who are in the similar mindsets and similar like voting spheres if they vote in a different thing and then it translate like I don't know. I, I just think because it's a completely different voting structure. Well, I think it probably has more credence than any of our bullshit.
0: I understand that, but what I'm saying is <laughs> the, the voting structure between the BAFTA and That's the true. SAG and the Golden Globes and the Academy Awards are all vastly different. Yeah. So to like getting nominated for an Academy award is done by your peers specifically. And so is a screen actor guild after I think is an association, association made up of critics. So sure. 200 plus people a piece had to be able to vote and say, yes, Brendan Fraser was the best actor of this year. Mm-hmm. So I can't sit here and say that he doesn't has no shot simply because he only won one of the other big major circuit awards. And furthermore, there was no chance he was going to win a Golden Globe after everything that happened to sure. Brendan Fraser regarding the Golden Globes. If you don't know about it, sure. look it up. So, if you don't pick Brendan Fraser here, I'm going to have to call you a coward. All right, you're doing a lot of listen to me right now. I sat in a movie theater at 10 a.m. Alamo Draft House on Christmas Eve by myself,
1: yeah, drinking a yeah, whiskey split Eve.
0: and watched The Whale and cried my eyes out. I'm taking fucking Brendan Fraser for best actor all the way. Wow. Wow. Let's ride this wave home, baby. Let's bring this thing home. Wow.
1: Okay. Wow. Um I think it's gonna be feral. I think again with Austin. Well I, I don't want to be too dark here, but the fact that Lisa Marie tragically died the last two weeks, I could see the Academy feeling very sentimental about that. They wanted to pay tribute to her and Butler's performance are both astounding. And it would make it would make sense to me, and I wouldn't have a real problem with it because he's awesome. You know, this whole show has kind of been founded on the back of making fun of Elvis, and we haven't talked about Austin Butler whenever we make fun of Tom Hanks. But Austin Butler is so good in Elvis that, like, even my friends who I went to see with who aren't real big cinephiles, are like, man, he's terrific and he's awesome, and his performances gives such a humanity to someone that has just kind of become a joke in the last, really, like, 50 years of history. A
0: role that could have just been. So impressionable. He really adds yes. another
1: lay of humanity.
0: And the amount of research that Austin Butler went into like put into this role is is astounding. So much so that his voice has just completely changed now, I guess.
1: <laughs> my mom was watching entertainment tonight last night and they were showing like Austin Butler Crips in 2012. And I was like, oh my god, it real he literally just has changed his entire voice because of Elvis. Can I can I
0: give you can I give another second helping of, of Austin Butler's Elvis Presley real quick? <laughs> This is awesome. This is this is Austin Butler on the press circuit. Are you ready? Here we go. Yeah, he's coming. Okay. He's call,
1: he's just called in on Zoom. He's coming into the chat. All right, let's see.
0: Awesome. Austin I really, really was enamored with the music first. Yeah. And then I found myself inside the script, And uh, mm-hmm. as his vision just spoke to me.
1: No. Austin, thank you for joining the show. First of all. Um. Second of all. When you saw Tom on set, what was your first reaction when he sounded like a goblin snorting crack? said, Mama, this man
0: right here is going to be nominated for two Razzies.
1: Who, but, who's, who's, who's mama? I gotta ask Who, to he's fly. The, that.
0: Just stops answering the questions. <laughs> he just turns
1: quote in the movie and becomes Elvis again. <laughs> Ain't hey, nothing matter, a hound dog. No, I agree
0: with you. He's doing a lot of legwork in that movie to hold that thing together. And he's amazing in it. Um, Again, like I wouldn't be mad with any of the three dogs that we just mentioned winning. Like shout out Colin Farrell to my Irish fellow brother. Like that would be so great. What a weird odyssey he's had throughout Hollywood. Like his trajectory is really interesting. Um, And I love hearing him speak like Colin Farrell, please come nominate my life. You seem like such a thoughtful and deep meta meta man. Like come give me a hug and teach me some things. But like, I would really, yeah, I would really love to see Fraser like land this plane, and what what a career that would be to to kind of have that icing on the cake. And then he's going into the new year with a Martin Scorsese picture. And so, True. I mean,
1: it sounds like he's going anywhere. The one thing I want to shout out with Farrell, because, like, I mean, how many more superlatives can you say about a just outstanding performance? His eyebrow control in that movie is off the fucking charts. I was rewatching that, like, why don't you like me anymore? And the way they start, like, creased, and then they dip back down, and they raise just a little bit. It's just insane. And I guess we should probably talk about this now, just briefly. I don't think he should be here. He should be best supporting actor. That movie's a two-handed between him and Gleason. I just... I don't think he... He's the lead, technically, I guess, but I just don't agree with him being here. You and I talked about this off mic movie even yeah. spends
0: a lot of time with its secondary characters where we we spend a good amount of time with Barry Keoghan and Kerry Condon's characters as well. Like that movie is a really well balanced, like, and, and this is the thing with Martin McDonough. I love his sense of like setting and space and like just awareness of that space. And that comes from working in the play and like in the stage and theater background that he has. Um, but like everything in this movie is just so perfectly aligned that I can't I can't separate Colin Farrell from Brendan Gleason's character or Barry Keon's character from Kerry Connor. They're all so intertwined all in this small, yeah. Small little <laughs> village. Yeah. They only, the only like was- way of communicating and like having any social life is one goddamn pub. Like, so it's just so interesting. Or well to done walk enough. like
1: miles to get there, yeah. Like yeah. Uh, the snub, we should maybe just kind of talk about Cruz. Should Cruz have been here at all, do you think, or no? I would love to pull the
0: audio from the Top Gun Maverick episode because yeah. I think I, I I had it for a lot of noms. I think I got quite a few. I think I missed out on a couple, good. I got quite a few right. Um, and this is one of them that, like, again, I just don't know if Paramount or Tom Cruise wants to be that vulnerable. Like, is Tom Cruise red carpet ready? Like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he does a really good job of like keeping that bubble wrap between himself and everybody else. I guess. He Very casts insulated
1: himself, yeah he casts a veil between himself and society in a really uh, really major way that's probably for his own benefit. I think but I think parol- it hurts here. I think it, hurts yeah, I think it does because like if he was doing press junkets for this, even though he has nothing to promote, if he was just like hopping on Colbert or like something, it just feels like a missed opportunity for him to maybe not try harder for this because like honestly i don't know maybe this isn't even something he cares about but this is probably the last real chance he has to get this nomination maybe talked about it and like
0: magnolia is the last gasp of like tom cruise yes i'm trying to get an oscar
1: pretty much uh before we move on i will say paul mescal i am so delighted he made it here you have not seen After Sun yet. I know you will at some point.
0: Yeah, this he's made it required viewing. Of...
1: <laughs> this is the arrival of one of the next great actors in a, a very similar way to Shao May, where he plays like vulnerable heartthrob kind of I don't even know how to really describe what he does, but like the scenes of where he wets himself kind of go and like we see the true version of his character are just outstanding work for a guy who's 26. And in 2020, he was starting in a show that kind of like came out of nowhere. Normal People, which he's also terrific in. Just a really interesting career arc. arc. He's got Gladiator 2 now on the docket. He's got a movie with Sorcerer Ronan on the docket. So this is the start of a really, really interesting career. And After Sun is a hell of a way to really get on the scene.
0: On the list, right up there with Babylon of like stuff I need to see that I missed.
1: This was a surprise
0: nom for me for Paul Mescal. You called this one, you're like, I don't know, I think he's got an outside shot. I was like, I don't think enough people saw this, I just don't know if it made enough buzz. And um, sure enough, he got nominated, so good for him.
1: I don't really have much to oh, comment my. on besides that, um, but I will definitely see it. Ireland represent moving on to best actress. Cool boy, some uh, this is where things will be contentious on the cast. Anna D. Armis for blonde. Kate Blanchett for Tara. You cannot start without me. There you go Nick. I just a little throw back to you. Major nice. Riseborough for Leslie. My name's too Leslie. I don't know what that that is. Michelle Williams. I I bought a monkey. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No. <laughs> I got <laughs> this one. Okay.
0: Of course you'll be all right. I'm your mother. <laughs>
1: And Michelle, you everything everywhere all at once. I don't want to even try to pressure that. Maybe no. sound defensive, so we're just going to leave that one be. Nick, where are we going with this? What, how do you want to start this? You want to talk about the Riesbroeck thing? You want to talk about who's your front runner? How do you want to?
0: like oh, I would like to talk about the Riesbroeck thing because it does frustrate yeah. me. I Have my yeah, hands up for the audience right now, like Donald Trump yep. would. So I'm going to go ahead and put that down because that looks insane right now.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, Andrea Riesbroeck did not deserve that nomination. Okay, she was not the best performance. I was the best.
0: I walked in the room. I said, "Wow, Andrea Riseborough, this is a big room." Um, no, so my problem with Andrea Riseborough being nominated for two yeah. Leslie is not the fact that she's nominated for her performance; it's how she got nominated for the performance. And this is one of the things that I am worried about going forward with the with the Academy, as as a voting member myself. Um, it's really frustrating to me that, like social media and the power of Twitter and all this bullshit can now influence somebody to get voted for. Nobody fucking talked about this movie until two weeks ago. I didn't, I, no one brought Andrea Risborough in this performance up less than two weeks ago. Edward Norton tweeted about it. Gwyneth Paltrow tweeted about it. And then it spread like wildfire. This to me seems like a, clear and concise organized campaign by a studio to have their person nominated i haven't seen two leslie and i've heard that she's really like just okay in that movie to me this is a perfect opportunity like we said it's not like the oscars were loaded to the point where it's like oscars so white but Viola Davis should have been nominated in this category. She's incredible in The Woman King. Like I watched that movie not too long ago, and I really, really enjoyed it. Again, one of the movies I want to go back and rewatch. Like she's doing a great job in that movie. There's so much physicality, physicality to that performance. Where I, from what I've seen of Two Leslie, it just seems like Andrea Riseborough screaming for two hours, and I'm just, I'm not fucking here yeah. for it.
1: <laughs> she's playing just a mess in that movie, and I don't know. Again, I haven't seen this movie either. I don't know how many shades of that you can really bring i think i don't know i don't know the one thing i will say is since i haven't seen it i can't just dismiss it but your your criticism of the well no one's heard about it so what does it matter i just kind of don't just agree with that like if it is truly one of the five best performances of the year which we will come back to that at a different room when we've both seen to leslie or not then it should be nominated i don't really care what the i don't want to say i don't correct the path is because you do make a good point the fact that we That's all hate Nepo true. babies, and yet, like, the Nepo and Nepotism and who you know basically got her nomination, you know, it is a tad unnerving and, like, annoying. Uh, but but it, it does matter, right? Because, like, yeah. something that has the lasting
0: power of Tar, which premiered at, like, Telluride or Cannes, like, half the year ago, same thing with Everything Everywhere All at Once, we have talked about Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett the whole entire time hasn't been any pause or any gap where like well you know i don't know if it's a two-horse race anymore we've known throughout the whole entire year that it's been those two that are probably the most likely right so why all of a sudden two weeks before the oscars we are we going to now be like well i guess we should also acknowledge this performance as well it's like well but that wasn't even like a conversation until somebody else told you about it right it's like it's the same thing as me like being like
1: Never this mind. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm yeah, not really yeah
0: I know what you were gonna do. I'm yeah. not getting into this allegory, but it it just it doesn't add up to me. And it seems really forced. And I think if you like were to go back and take a look three months ago, there no one would have had Andrew Riseborough on their list. Now I'll go right into my second point in my problem with this. It's the ahead. same thing with Michelle Williams for the Fablemans. It's just like Colin Farrell in best actor Banshees. she's not in this movie for more than 25 minutes maybe no. she's a really big emotional heartbeat of the movie so is paul dano like where's his nomination i, I just i feel like if she wanted a chance to win michelle williams she should have ran in best supporting actress
1: well and not even that but if if you're gonna approach the dana role and the williams role and say that they have equal value when they're both doing the same thing that dano should have been a contention for best actor but he never was it was clearly understood he was best supporting so by right. that logic william should have been too like it, it just kind of baffles the mind the last thing i'll say about the rise thing before we kind of move on is that's the one thing that doesn't bother me as much as what you've kind of talked about if we know this is a two-horse race this isn't going to be like all of a sudden this person comes out of nowhere and steals the the gore from michelle yo or kate blanchett i think it's Especially fair to say, she may be still going for Viola Davis, who probably is a more
0: deserving candidate. And that's my problem, right there. Is it's not necessarily about a nomination; it's about representation. Yes, and that's my and that's my issue.
1: And yet, I I think the more odd nomination is Anna Diarmas for Blonde. Everything I've read and seen about Blonde is that she's okay, and it just seems more like. Well, we all like Anna and she really tried something this year and she's trying to pivot away from like action comedy stuff to like high profile drama. And that movie's got a lot of weird, weird stuff going on all around it. That to recognize it over a movie like The Woman King or a couple other nominations gonna throw out here real quick. Taylor Russell and Blood Bones and All, Olivia Coleman and Empire of Light. I mean it's Olivia Coleman, so I'm just saying we can't roll her out. Margot Robbie in Pablo, and Babylon, even Anya Taylor Joy for the menu, I thought are people who maybe had a better chance, or like would have been a less like ostentatious fit for this than Ana de Armas?
0: Any Taylor Joy's character in the menu is so layered that you don't really fully understand That's... who she is until the last twenty-five minutes of the goddamn movie. She didn't get nominated, and that is all no. her. She's doing that. She's doing all that heavy lifting. Oh, I just, I really have a problem with some of the nominees in this category. And again, who really gives a shit? It's my opinion and like it doesn't matter one iota. But I just, I, I am a fan of representation and positive representation. And I don't think that that happened
1: in this category this year. I would agree with you. Where are you go with the Blanchett versus Yo debate? Who who do you think is going to win? It's the lady who relearned, quote unquote relearned how to play the piano and, and <laughs> German. So give me Kate Blanchett. Okay. I'm gonna go with Michelle Yeoh. I just, I, I, I know we've kind of had this chatter earlier, but I, I think Blanchett's awesome in that movie. And but she's, I, I mean, you may disagree with me here because I know you love Tara probably more than I do. It's not a one-note performance whatsoever, but she's kind of on the same tonal level the entire time of like, kind of mean. Like I don't really know how to characterize her without like, like it's a little tough character to like kind of like lay out there, but. What Michelle Yeoh is doing is a more impressive acting job to me of she has to go all the way around of stern, harsh, kind of like cruel-ish mother to like loving, you have to understand the power of love. And that's not even talking about like the several different alternate universes of herself she plays and the nuance and the small facial stuff she does. And the other thing that I think that she has going for her, she hasn't won one before. You know, I think that really does matter nowadays when we're talking about Mm -hmm. the Oscars and how they're trying to be more representative of people. And it's not just like token Oscars. It is, there is a rational thing of like, well, this person's won a bunch of awards. We are then more inclined to give it to so-and-so. It's the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick thing. They should win MVP and coach of the year. Probably every year they do anything, but because because they're Tom Brady and their old tired stories, we're constantly trying to find new narratives. And Blanchett doesn't fit that exactly, but Michelle Yeoh is like the hot new like upstart that has a different path.
0: I think the Academy like feel good and Lydia mm. Tarr is a very bitter character. Mm. And I just don't necessarily think in a year where we're kind of <laughs> just getting out of COVID and just getting over the slap that necessarily we want to go for a dark, yes. forbearing maestro for, for best actress. But I think her performance... Is doing a lot more than Michelle Yeoh's. I think Michelle Yeoh has a really great, sweet, and powerful performance. I think what she's doing for her culture is beautiful. I'm not necessarily certain that it's a better performance, but I would be totally cool even yeah. if
1: it's a political win because I think she's great in the movie. I think no matter kind of how you feel, it's a one A one B situation. You know, yeah. I'm going to take Blanchett though. Okay, I'll take I'll take Yo. Best Picture, Nick. Do you want to read us the cat, the uh, the categories or the nominees? Jesus Christ, it is going to sure. be. Yeah, we have
0: all quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, Inches of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything uh-huh. Everywhere All at Once, Fableman's Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. Mm-hmm. So we got ten nominees this year. Pretty wide, vast pool. All very different
1: uh josh i'll let you lead the way where are you going with this i don't think we need 10 categories or 10 nominations for this goddamn award like i think the the we've gone the other way of ever since dark knight didn't get nominated we've had the 10 nominees there's some years we don't need 10 like eight is fine triangle of sadness i i know we'll talk about it when we get to your top 10 list i don't think it's a top 10 movie of the year it's it's on the like outside looking in for me personally and I, I'm just – I don't know if we need that. I don't know if Elvis should be here. Like, this is just a thing where I feel like it got to the point where the voters are like, oh, well, I need 10 nominees. I like these movies okay. You're like, I like these movies a good bit. I think it's one of those things where
0: you, you almost can't please anybody. If you yes. did – Ten nominations. Somebody, some asshole like you would be like, "Oh, that's too many." And then if you did eight this year, somebody would be like, "Oh, why didn't why didn't Triangle of Sadness get in?" So I think it's one of those things wow. where you, you can't really please anybody. So um, I'm cool with the ten nominations. I think the more the merrier. Personally, I think it makes it more exciting. Um, but like you said, there are some clear indicators where it's
1: like, "Okay, well, Triangle of Sadness has no chance." Like. <laughs> Elvis has no chance. Avatar has no chance. Like uh, Top Gun Maverick, I don't think, has any chance. And I guess it's not to say, uh, to crystallize this point before we move on to like who we think is going to win. It's not to say they shouldn't be. It's just, I don't know if we need 10 movies where the it's kind of filler at, the, at a certain yeah. point. Yeah. Who are you taking for the winner? I think everything, everywhere, all at once. I think it's the movie of the year in a lot of ways. And I think you made a good point about the Michelle Yeoh thing. It's a very sentimental, nice movie that you leave with a warm feeling about trying to do better and trying to be better to people you love. And I think that's a really nice sentiment to probably end the show on and maybe try and start this year on. (laughs) You know, I don't think it'll work because humanity is just going to reject any niceness it's kind of given or spit it back out. But that kind of message is something that I think appeals to them more than the other nominees, which are like the most depressing war movie ever banshees which in itself ends with the two people being like well i hate you now um the fablemans i just i, I could see the Fablemans. Fablemans is my second i think in this row just because like it's spielberg and i think it's a it's a holly it's a hollywood movie for hollywood people i
0: agree i i want to say that banshees is my number two but i think with the Fablemans in that like little pack right there it's just gonna it's gonna leapfrog it just because of its content so i will go with you i'll say everything everywhere all at once is definitely the the front runner and then i'll take the fablemans
1: at number two i'm with you i i think don't mm, don't discount itchies yes don't don't discount banshees it's just it's it's one it's a fantastic movie it's one of the best movies of the year which is why we're gonna talk about our best movies of the year nick how are you uh how do you want to do this? We've been teasing this. We've been talking about it a lot. I think the, the way to best way to do this is go 10, 10, 9, 9, so on and so forth. Talk about each movie, why we felt the way we felt, and overall, why it's where it is. Let's do it. Okay, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? Start us off here. Okay. Uh, my
0: number 10 pick is Jackass Forever. And my note as to why it's in my number 10 is pretty brief. New mm. Jackass could make you cry whoa uh deeply sentimental yeah i mean i feel like i grew up with a jackass (laughs) crew um whether it's like bam margera in his show um viva la bam or wild boys or you know any of the jackass movies the point fives and all that stuff it just like feels like i've kind of grown up alongside those guys and like i don't know like all my friends we all grew up really kind of emulating and enjoying those movies um and to see those guys kind of get older and take a step back in some of their like stunts and um and they had a lot of archive footage with some of the people who are just like just not around anymore frankly so um it was just kind of like a poignant watch and like i i walked away from that movie being like wow who knew something as infantile as jackass could be like emotionally moving so yeah that's my top that's my uh, number 10 pick of the year
1: my number 10 pick, I've told you this off mic, it is Glass Onion, Knives Out Mystery. For each of my picks, I wrote a small sentence or two about kind of what I felt about it or what was the prevalent theme. For Glass Onion, I wrote, when done it not as important as a question as at what cost. This is a very, I don't want to say unique detective story, but I enjoyed that Ryan Johnson once again is like, well, I'm going to subvert what you want from these movies and tell an interesting story that is unique to what I feel and what I want to talk about. And this notion of people being okay with murder and letting it slide for their own personal gain was just a very interesting detour in the detective genre, which otherwise is very dry. And at a certain point, it's like, we found the killer, it's over, you know? That moment where Catherine Hahn and Wesley Odom Jr. are like, well, I saw it, I saw him do this. And finally coming back to, like, their humanity, it tells you everything you need to know about, like, <laughs> that movie and the choice that Ryan Johnson made, not just to mention it's a fun movie. Like, it is just a really fun, good time that is very layered. And I think if you go back and rewatch it, it does what a lot of great detective movies do. You can see the clues a lot more clear. And it is a movie that is worth a rewatch. And I really, really enjoyed myself with it. I agree with
0: you all the way. I do wish that Netflix would give this a proper release. And I hope going forward that you they know. do.
1: <laughs> Before we move on, I know this is one of your honorable mentions, should we just kind of mention ours before we get too much further in here? No, why not? Okay, hit me. I have a lot of
0: honorable mentions, but I'll try to keep them brief. Brief. Oof. Um, so I have The Fablemans, that was just outside my top ten. Um, The Northmen, I really enjoyed this movie. This fucking super heavy metal New Hampshire boy Robert Eggers movie. Um, everybody right. check that out. You can watch it for free on Amazon Prime now. So if, you have, if you're a subscriber, um, I thought that was a, a really weird, trippy-ass movie, so I enjoyed that a lot. I had Barbarian on here. Uh, uh, such a really great approach to the horror genre of just, like, making your main villain humanistic, which I really enjoyed. I um, thought that was a great approach. I've, I I'm, I can't say much on Barbarian. <laughs> I, I know that that's the, was my next note. I know we're going to talk about this movie some more, so I don't really want to go too in-depth. Um, and then I had the Menu and The Whale. Um, I didn't really enjoy The Whale as a whole for the movie. I thought it was – really felt the constraints of a play. And there were some times where some of the performances felt very theatrical, um, especially with some of the younger actors in the film. But Brendan Fraser was a powerhouse and, and just completely like, moved me emotionally. And um, – mm-hmm. I, I really hope he wins the Oscar for his performance. I think it's a it's a really great movie, and uh, I don't you know we don't get too personal on the road dogs, um, but having struggled with my own weight throughout my life, and having family members who have most certainly been in more dire situations than I when it comes to their weight,
1: uh, it was a deeply relatable story as well. So uh, I really enjoyed that that performance. My number fifteen. I'll just do five real quick. Violent Night. Hey man, you say standing with the sledgehammer just mowing down folks. Fuck it, let's go. You say it's David Harper. I'm like, fuck it, let's ride. Broncos country, let's ride. The movie's a sleeper hit, it made pretty decent money. I know it's it's a fun little romp, and I think as some people might see in my my honorable mentions, I just love little romps. You know, I think there's just a lot of fun to be had. Of like, we don't need to go like over the top and have this grand thing all the time. It can just be a silly movie. It's why I love the Nice Guys so much. It's just fun. Number right. fourteen, The Men's it's good. Um, I just, I found a disconnect with it at certain points. And I think it got a little too lost and it kept going longer than it probably should have. Where we don't, I don't think we need the whole John Ford stuff and the Horizon stuff. And I know what happened to Spielberg, but it's like, you don't need to tell me this becomes Steven Spielberg. It's made by Steven Spielberg. You're showing me war movies that Steven Spielberg made as a kid. I know it. Like, you don't need to tell me his origin story completely. The movie can just end. But otherwise, I think it is a really powerhouse performances. Chalk Brim, Gabriel Bell, Paul Dan, Michelle Williams, everything we kind of talked about today. I just think it's a little lost sometimes. Number 13, Bones and All. It's good. It's good. I, I appreciate there's a heart in the middle of the, the chest that they're trying to eat. It's, it's – <laughs> it's, it's, I don't really know what else to say about Bones at all. I'm still kind of sorting through my feelings on it. It's going to come up later. Okay. Okay. So I'll I'll save myself there. Number twelve, another another little romp. Confess, Fletch. This is a John Ham Fletch movie. Don't shake your head at me, boy. It's a it's a fun ninety minute romp. Can't really say much more about it because I know you're you're not a fan of it. Triangle of Sadness, number eleven. It's just kind of on the outside looking in for me. It's it's too grotesque at points. Not in a way that felt unnecessary, but it just doesn't jive with my personal comfort zone. I guess. Not to mention, as we've talked about, the issues of the second act and the third act, but I will save that for the rest. Going back to number nine, Nick, who do you got? Yeah, my number nine pick is X. Ooh. Is a
0: horror will be directed by Ty West, um, starring Mia Goff. I, just, I was just in class earlier today, and we were just talking about like being dynamic this movie is so fucking dynamic like all of the shots in it are so interesting from the opening shot where you just kind of like are dropped into this farm and it's not a lot of like flashy stuff it's just the pan but you're seeing all this carnage and you're like why why are we opening here like what happened how did we get here and of course you're in great hands and you find out why you're there and why you started there by the end of the movie. But there's just some great stuff done there. There's a shot that involves an alligator that's shot from overhead that I had just never seen before. And it was such a great way to slowly dial and ratchet up tension. Um, Some of the kills in this, if you're a horror fan, I know this sounds a little dark, but you know, you're watching for the kills. This movie has some fucking awesome kills in it. So if you're looking for a horror movie where some wild shit happens in that regards, check it out. Um, I actually plan on watching Pearl, the sequel to this movie that came out this year as well, tonight. Um. After we're done with the Ooh. cast, so
1: we'll have wow. some thoughts on
0: that next week.
1: I haven't seen X. Uh, I've wanted to. I've heard nothing but positive things. And, oh, love it. Uh, okay. All right. My number nine, we're going to stick with the horror genre. It's nope. Uh, Jordan Peele's space alien movie. You are a Ford, Nick. What do you got to say? I can't believe it's that low. I, uh, I'll read you my little blurb. I wrote The commercialization of trauma only ever ends with destruction. It's a really good movie. I, I I still don't know how to process it. I, I haven't done it the service it probably earns, which is a rewatch. And I'm curious in my feelings about a change more on that. But the one thing I will say is Jordan Peele is a master of his craft in this movie. This was the first time where I was like, oh, this is a dynamic visual storyteller in a way that I don't think he really quite had mastered in Us and Get Out. What I love about this movie is the same thing that I've done with the analogy about the
0: doors. There's no one in the middle on this movie. They either love it or they hate it. And I totally agree with you. Like I watched this movie. I was like, this is an auteur who has finally like reigned in all of their powers, no pun intended to the movie there. But like, I thought it was
1: master at work. I just think it was a little too long. I, I, I just, at a certain, maybe I think my experience is maybe I don't want to say hampered by, but the people I went to see the movie with aren't aren't as on board with as much of the weird metaphor or illusion stuff that Peele likes to roll with. So that was maybe part of why I felt so not indifferent towards it because it's my number <laughs> nine movie of the year. But I maybe wasn't as high as I might be later on. I want to kind of keep my comments caged because this movie will come. Yeah, of back course, up. of course,
0: number eight, Nick. A number eight pick of the year is decision to leave. Ooh. Wolf movie. Um, this is a really, really good movie. I love the use of technology in this movie. It's the first movie that used smartphones to me in an inventive, creative way, to the point where it blended the, the reality in the visual effects to the point that I couldn't decipher the two. There's some great work done on the mountain in this movie where it's just shot where it's like, are they on a stage or is that like are they outside exposed like to those like real elements? um another great detective yarn and while um you know there is a there is a disconnect linguistically um i found that to almost be not beneficial but something that made me want to go back and rewatch it again Be like oh there's some like emotional clues that i'm just not privy to i want to go back and kind of like pull that thread a little more and see what that was about um there's some great stuff done about like loneliness and like that means to a police officer, or detective, in the way that it's edited and shot is just is expert in that in that regards when it involves those scenes, um, really gut punch ending, really like like creative and um, odd choice to to do away with one of your characters. I'll let you make of that as what what you will. But um, yeah, another one I, this year was a lot of movies to me that was like I'm chewing this over. I'm thinking about this for a long time after it's over. So this was another one of those that was in that kind of category.
1: I have not seen Decision Leave, but I will stick with the word shoe, because my number eight is The Menu. I wrote a movie about how an ever-evolving, ever-condescending, ever-interrogatory world seeps a compassion from an artist. I love a lot of stuff about The Menu. It is, it is funny. Number one was my favorite part about it. In so many of the eat-the-rich type movies and stories that we're seeing become so prominent now, it is... Is very I don't want to say over the head, but sometimes it's like, look, guys, we know we got it. Everyone hates the rich, and the menu approaches it with such like a decanter almost of how mm. we're gonna take the, the the like the nails to these people. And John Leguizamo was great in it, and these text bros, <laughs> like, and the way that eventually there's like this despair to them of like, I guess we're gonna become marshmallow people, and not to even mention the performances of Nicholas Holt. Is playing such a good, dumb little goofus. <laughs> scene in the kitchen where he's sweating. Yes. And the scene where he's like, Yes, chef. Yeah. Uh, you can't say that about him. He's yeah. just so good in it. Anya Taylor Joy, as we talked about, is just tremendous. I think it's a, a coming out party for her, almost in a big way of like, I'm going to pay with some more dramatic, dramatic stuff, hopefully. I, I just don't know what else to say other than like, this really did feel like. A succession episode mark milan obviously directed succession a lot of it and his sensibility really works in this and my favorite one is do you, do, where'd you go to school i think she goes brown yes that ray finds is like do you have any student Dead. she goes no he goes, you're dying not even yeah. like a whiff of like humor or intensity but just the way he's like you're dead and then that moment where annie taylor Joy's character finds the picture of him with a burger it really made me think this is a movie about like artists and how chefs are artists, but more or less just directors of how people want to know everything. They want to keep coming back to you. They want to have access to you and they expect so many things that are so condescending now that you never get the joy you get when you just made a burger for someone because it made them feel good. You know, when a director makes it to the big game, she's taken on all these expectations of the fans, the media and all that sort of stuff. And the art can very slowly and like quickly, lose itself to that process and the, the kind of the way that you're rabbited after like a hound dog. And I just thought this movie is a really, really unique movie in that regard.
0: I don't, I don't really have more to say. I think you really, <sighs> they nailed it and brought it home there. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You're seven. Our number seven is bones and all movie. We just talked about. Yeah. All right. Uh, I never understood Timothy Chamelet. I've never been a fan. Really? Um, <laughs> this movie i finally got his energy he gave me like brad pitt vibes and thelma louise the way he was kind of dancing to lick it up by kiss i was all there for that um i love the weird journalistic like traveling quality to the film um i thought taylor russell taylor russell did a great job of embodying that feeling just like being isolated and really not knowing how to talk to people um this movie really does a great job of making the grotesque look beautiful like it's just kind of traveling across Midwest America, but it does have this like, I don't know. It's a ro- it's a romance movie, as dark and twisted. Roan as Road dogs that. movie, yeah. And it looks and it looks beautiful. Um, <laughs> it, it, it strained me a little bit at times with the disbelief of them meeting four to five people who can smell other eaters yes. in the course of like a few weeks. <laughs> yet they've never met anybody like that in their life before. Um, I felt like. The- Mark Rylance tracking down the sister and then her finding the long string of rope yep. hand- <laughs> kind of stretch. Um, the scene with the cannibals kind of felt unnecessary, but I thought this was beautifully shot and I thought it was really well acted. Um, but again, not surprised that this got
1: kind of no love at the Oscars. The two words that came to mind with, with bones at all before I transitioned to my number seven was like rustic fantasy was kind of the the way that I got it. There's this very dreamlike quality to everything, to what you're kind of talking about, where they're meeting all these people who can smell them and who are also cannibals. When it's like, well, surely you would have met someone like that if like you're just going from town to town, Taylor Russell's character. And yet the disbelievability gives it this very... I don't even know how to really describe it. I have some problems with it in the Sully character where... Rylance is making too many choices for his own to his own detriment, which he tossed on the Colonel Tom Parker already, so I won't go too much further into it. But I just I don't know. There was something to be desired with it where I could buy the love story but never see the tragedy of it because I never really felt pity for either of these characters. When it's like, oh no, I'm so upset Timothy Chalamet died or or this or that. It's like, well, I, I don't know. They eat people who don't really want to be eaten. I don't I don't feel that bad that that happened to them, so that's where the movie kind of lost me. But overall, tremendously acted, tremendously shot. You know, it hits a lot of good markers.
0: To me, I agree with you. And the thing that also added strain to it was like they start to take out like, or at <laughs> least Timothy Chalamel's character starts to take out people who are just completely innocent, and it's yes. like, oh, I've lost all emotional connection with this character. Ooh. And I also found. We're getting almost too deep into this movie as we continue the list. I almost found the the sevigner character of the mother to be distracting because mm. Taylor Russell is so detached throughout the movie, and then that is like her pursuit throughout the movies to meet her mother, and she just completely changes her character after that scene. It just doesn't really make sense to like where yeah. she was at before. Which just didn't work for me, but I mean, nonetheless, it's a movie I've thought about a lot since I watched it, so that's why it's on this list.
1: It might be the movie
0: I have the most problems with that's on my list,
1: Mm. and not to mention the fact of the script that how she leaves Lee and then she goes back to him because Mark Rylance kind of yelled. It's just it's a tad flimsy when they're like inventing reasons for them to break up that I don't really you know care for. Yes, my number seven is Nick. You're gonna be kind of floored. It's Tar uh the the quote i have for this is they survive this movie is terrific i mean this is seven so it's not a real slight to it but the problems that i have with this movie is it's kind of got both its feet in different genres and i feel like it never really planted its foot in either there's the drama slash biopic element of it with Blanchett and the tar character and the cancel culture stuff which i've really really bought and then there's this very horror fantastical like psychological aspect of it that they they address and yet they never really answer like so that these tops are spinning in this room and they're playing this piano, but who's doing that? Because the girl who we assume it is is dead. So is it a ghost? Like it's it doesn't answer as many questions as I would have liked. And it kind of left me feeling like, so what was that? What was that like not even metaphorically or like thematically, but like what was that narratively? Like what is the answer to that question?
0: I don't think Tar is interested in answering any questions. I I let that movie just wash over me. I've got a lot of thoughts about it later. Um, but I can kind of get into it now if you want,
1: because it's much No, I think up. we should save it. We should save Kay. it so when we can give more props to it. I kind of feel like I have to defend myself why it's seven, whereas I'd like to maybe praise it a little more when we get to you.
0: No, and I I don't I don't think your ranking at seven is unfair. I, I don't think that that's out of out of field, but I just personally would have it higher. Okay. who's, who's your six? sixth is triangle of sadness okay okay um we've we've kind of hit on this movie briefly not a ton i know that josh just spoke about it too um i really enjoyed this movie simply for the assassination of the rich i thought it was the most creative out of the bunch whether it was knives out this the menu um i thought it was a very diverse cast i loved the locations it kind of like kept me on my toes in the sense that I didn't really know what direction the movie was ever heading in kind of like you said to its detriment at times um, I really enjoyed the sound design on this. I thought the, the noises on the boat when things really start to go awry was so well done. You know, you hear the cart swaying in the background, you hear the listing of the boat and then you hear like just people in the background, just getting sick or running to the bathroom or you hear toilet seats, just clacking up. I just, I really enjoyed the sound design of the chaos of like people who are so buttoned up and have everything squared away or just, you've completely lost all control now. I've really enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> I didn't think that, you know, the script was great, kind of like you said, it was a little bit heavy-handed, but it made me laugh a lot. Um, but uh, it
1: surprises me it won the Palm d'Or, but let's eat the rich. And the third act is the best part of it for me, and it's this very interesting, like, category, or not category, question of, like, where does the cast structure kind of end, and where does it begin? And when all of this falls apart, what actually matters? And the way that... Um, no, go ahead. Exactly. And I thought the ending was so... Sorry,
0: just real quick. I forgot mm-hmm. my last... One. It was one of the most haunting endings of the year for me, if not the most.
1: I'll ask you this right now. Carl dies in those woods, right? Trying to get to them? I think everybody who isn't <laughs> in
0: charge dies. Or who's going to listen.
1: Yeah, I I like this movie. I don't love it for all the reasons we've kind of talked about. But I can easily see why you would like it as much. My number six, talked about already, It's Barbarian. For Barbarian, I wrote, Monsters are far too often created when the paint on the white picket fence begins to fade. This is a really dynamic horror movie that is my favorite type, where it is easily trying to say something about America and people and places and what we've done and who we make a monster and who we don't. And it carries so much added weight to it. The fact that this monster is the actual guy in the basement who's produced this pitiful piece of shit in a bed while the quote unquote monster is the product of all of his heinous crimes. And yet we fear one. It's just, it's incredible. Like the, the writing, directing the actual horror elements, the fact that I I forget the, the director writer's name, but he subverts kind of all the tropes of like, she looks at the door. She's like, I'm not going in there. It is very much kind of a parody of those movies in the sense that it knows what the audience thinks she shouldn't do, so she doesn't do it. <laughs> Which is greatly appreciated when you've watched a ton of horror movies like you and me. And it's like, well, she, no one would ever do that. And the characters don't in this movie. And I find it packs a hell of a punch at the end. And the way that Justin Long dies and the fact that the monster dies. You spoiled the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. I mean, it's a 2022 wrap-up. I don't give a fuck. uh so (laughs) i don't know how did you feel about barbarian i'm kind of rambling now
0: i love barbarian um i thought some of its tricks were very tarantino-esque the like cutaway to justin long on the pacific coast highway and then he goes down to the basement he's like i got so much space back here was kind of tested my patience the fact that the police officers just completely ignored her and just like off. there were some move. there were some moments that like strained me but like as far as being inventive and like an exercise in tension from the opening scene with bill skarsgård who's just he has this like posture and his eyes just have this glassy nature that automatically makes him look creepy i know he's not in this movie and unfortunately he gets killed in a really brutal way um but i thought that dynamic of like okay like we have gotten to the point now where airbnbs can be horror movies and airbnbs the thought of just going to one can be scary. So, um, I, I kind of enjoyed that inventiveness
1: and they use scars guard and that reputation he has now from the it movies against the movie to be like, yes. Oh, you think it's going to be scars but it's really not. Exactly. Go see barbarian. It's on HBO max. I had a great time watching with a bunch of friends, maybe partly why I'm influenced, but terrific horror movie. Look out for that writer director. He has a new movie coming out. I don't know when, but it was announced today. So keep it keep it oh, really out. Yeah. You're the whitest the whitest kid you know, actually. He was a former. That's writer. right, that's right. Nick, you're number
0: five. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Zach Krager. That's who directed That's Bar-berry. the name. Thank you. Thank you. Just wanted to get that right. My number five pick is a movie we've talked about to death, so I really don't want to kind of I think we're gonna be agreed on this. Spend too much time on it. It's everything everywhere all at once.
1: The dogs are aligned, baby. Let's go! <laughs> I'll let you start then cuz I I
0: really have said everything I need to say about this movie I think.
1: <laughs> for this movie I wrote an incandescent story. For all of life's faults, annihilation never ends the pain, it ends a chance for things to change. I was kind of in the middle on this movie for the first hour and a half where it's throwing so much at you so quickly. Everything is everywhere all at once you could dare you say. Mm-hmm. That I was kind of, I didn't know what to make of it. And then when it finally synthesizes to its point and the moment that sealed it to me is the scene where there are rocks. That was Mm. when I was all in on this movie and kind of, I knew where it was heading, but the realization of it hit me really hard of just a mother telling their child, like I know life is shitty and people are shitty, but there's a reason to exist past them and to want to keep trying and to try and cherish what does you make you happy, rather than trying to curse what doesn't, it it just it really packs an emotional punch for a movie where there's people who have hot dog fingers, and I respect the ambitiousness and the audacity of it to do that. Both those things. I'm trying
0: right now to write something very absurd, as you know, kind yes. of surreal, and um, this movie was kind of like one of those flags in the ground I needed to see to be able to be like, oh, I. I I got a chance. I I can write this at least. I can put this on paper, you know, as, as crazy as it is. So I really appreciated this movie for being something that I hadn't seen before. There's a really like a lot of original things that I just don't think had been captured. You know, you think about the, the way that they alter, like future could be altered of like cutting your tongue with a piece (laughs) of paper or like cutting in between your fingers and stuff like that. I just really loved the inventiveness and like the, the ingenuity behind the filmmaking in this. So I thought this was a really, really fun watch. Um, Mm -hmm. I did find it a little sappy at the end, a little heavy handed with some of its messages of love and family, but you know what? It was such a enjoying like romp, kind of like you said, in a great ride. I was like, you know what?
1: Send me home with something to to be to smile about and be happy about. And I don't know what else they could have done at the ending to kind of make it more rewarding than like. I i wish the ending wasn't everything's fixed because it is kind of a cop out to be like now everyone's tolerant of everything and everyone's happy and right. But uh, I, but I, I can't fault the movie for what it did do. Sometimes and it gave me so much to enjoy.
0: And what it did for movies. I mean, it's a twenty fourth yeah. highest grossing movie. That's awesome. Michelle Yeoh's nominated for best actor. Hugh Kwan, who hasn't been in a movie in 20 plus years, got a role. Um, I watched a, a, a actress roundtable with him, and um, him talking about having to give up his dream of acting and work as an ad or work in the uh, behind the camera, yeah. um, and then getting this opportunity 20 plus years later to get you know in front of the camera again. He's he's getting really emotional about it, and um, is is quite a powerful thing of of you know your dreams can come true. And it, that's kind of like not necessarily the story of this movie, but um, to see this cast kind of have that trajectory is, is, is a really beautiful thing. Your dreams can come true.
1: I would say that's not the story. The stories keep trying and keep like, be okay with the the downs. Cause you can maybe still find the highs. And I and meant him specifically. That. Yeah. Right, right, right. I, I guess I mean more the film and everyone kind of from the cast, to the directors to everything kind of encapsulates that. And the moment I kind of figured it all out, and I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense, when I found out these guys made Swiss Army, man, I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. Checks out.
0: Number four. My number four pick is Tar. Okay. Cannot start without me. Much like a Bones and All, much like a Triangle of Sadness or Decision to Leave, this year was a, a year of me watching movies and thinking about them a lot more. Um, This is a year where I saw many of the Oscar nominated movies in the past. It's been like, yeah, I'll wait till that comes to streaming or yeah, I'll snag the Blu-ray of that when it's on sale. You know, I went to the movies a lot Uh, when that was taken away from us. That was something like that. I wanted to really make sure I did a lot more this year. Um, And I, unfortunately, it took me a while, but I did get to see Tar in theaters, which is something that I think. You, you you really adds another layer to this movie. Um, I love the sound design in this movie. You know, you talked about the dreamlike sequences where she's running in the woods, and like it sounds like there's a scream of a fox mixed yeah. with a human being <laughs> off to the side. Um, that's how my dreams work. I thought that was an awesome well. encapsulation of dreams of just like your your dream doesn't start and end at your convenience. It, it cannot start without me. You know? Wow. <laughs> um, in, in the way that it just kind of abruptly ends, um, there's no timing to your dreams. There's no rhythm to your dreams. When she is in the real world, she's in control. She's operating, and all the rhythms and patterns move to her will. Um, I really like that sense of like kind of like taking the control away from a character who's already so mentally frayed. Um, and Cate Blanchett is just an absolutely—it's it's, it's, she's a top ten actress of all time at this point. Put her in the category of Meryl Streep, the Audrey Hepburns. You know, take your pick. It, she's in that category now. She is absolutely incredible in this movie. Actors don't singularly carry movies anymore. You know, we talk about the Marvel movies. No one goes to see those for Chris Evans. They go to see them to see Captain America. Kate Blanchett is going off on six-minute monologues in this movie that are so intense and deeply involved with physicality of of being a conductor as well as being able to pull off these really pretentious and, like, airy dialogue which might turn people off especially within the first five minutes in the movie yeah um but i just loved how all the drama really remained around two shots just added this level of uncomfortability for me like i'm hearing something that i shouldn't be hearing um so I, again i took Kate blanchett to win the oscar this is hers to lose and people give todd field fucking money to make more movies please <laughs>
1: It is a dynamo script, which is I think the part that has gone understated with this movie, is the the way that he chooses to talk about these things and how like upfront and nasty it is, is the thing that I really appreciated about it. Is Lydia, I don't like Lydia at all. And I never root for her to succeed and yet I never felt myself like bored with this movie. There's a way that this is a very boring movie, because you're like, well, fuck Lydia, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And he avoids that, and the choice is to have these incredible scenes of they're in the music uh, school or whatever, and she's doing that whole lesson, and then the, the the dinner scene with Rylance, or whatever the fuck it was, and then the, the panel in the conference center, like, I, it's just masterclass stuff from pretty much everyone. And that final moment where you see her <laughs> conducting that music for, I don't even know what Japanese, Vietnamese, Asian. She's
0: doing, no, she, she's doing, she's doing the soundtrack for the new monster hunter game. The cosplay oh, event. okay.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. That is the moment where it kind of all crystallizes, which is why I use that quote. They survive. That is when she's talking with the guy with the crocodiles. And she says like, Oh, there's crocodiles here. She's like, shouldn't there not be? He says, well, they survived. Like they figured out, they adapted, they evolved. And that told me anything to know about Tar. Is It's a movie about how we could kind of cancel people. We can kind of get rid of them. But they survive, ultimately. And maybe that means they're doing Monster Hunter scores in the dark for a bunch of nerds. And she's lost all power, where she now has a headset. And she has to hit the beats that they want her to hit, rather than mm-hmm. coming up with her own interpretation of music. But they will survive, for better or for worse. And the monsters that... We fear the Lydia Tars are still kind of out there, maybe just have a lesser voice.
0: One thing I also love too was it had this effect on me with the script of Michael Clayton where there is no explaining the information that's revealed. No. <laughs> hey Linda. Oh, sorry, I meant Lydia. Well, she changed her name. It's just right. a little piece of information revealed in the last 10-15 minutes of the movie. You know, but it speaks volumes to what that character is truly about way she handles the situation where she gets scared in the building and falls and hits mm-hmm. her head how oh, she's so prideful that she can't just be aloof and be a fool for once mm-hmm. just, it, and there's a lot more context as to why she's there and why she can't <laughs> reveal but uh, yes that, that is the underlying subtext of as to why she makes that decision that's her motivating factor I really really think this is we're gonna look back on this one and we're gonna say everything everywhere all at once was a moment but
1: this might be the best movie of the year I think her best scene before I move on to my number four is that scene where she's watching the Bernstein Bernstein um video yes. and you you just see her slowly breaking down and it's this release that she's never had as a character before. I don't know if Lydia Tarz cried in twenty years. And she's the fact completely that she lost sight of why she's doing it. Yeah. Yes, and now she's just broken in this shitty New Jersey house that her mother owned with all these relics of a past that she tried to escape. It really is kind of a ghost story of like she became the ghost and now she's revisiting all these old haunts that she's left behind her family and all the sort of things for nothing but her own ambition and kind of lust and power. It, 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 it's, I can't say enough. It's a great
0: movie, man. And again, I think it's going to, when we we go back in retrospect, it's going to be like there will be blood. It's like, I'm still wondering about certain things, (laughs) and like what they meant and like what
1: that's an allegory to. So yeah, Tar, that's all I got. My number four, Top Gun Maverick. I wrote a rip-roaring good time that reminds us why movie theaters exist and why sometimes to move on, we have to leave those we love behind. We've talked about Top Gun Maverick uh, a lot. If you haven't listened to our episode, go fuck yourself, do it. So I don't know what else to say about Top Gun Maverick, but it is one of the best movies of the year. It reminded me why we do this in the first place in a lot of ways, because it's so easy to write off blockbusters nowadays of like, well, they're just Marvel movies, and they're just this and that, and they're pointless and stuff like that. And then Top Gun reminds you the potential of it and the emotional weight that they can carry. And I, I don't, I don't really know what else to say about this, Nick. Other than like my fondness for it has only grown since we talked about it.
0: I love this movie. It's going to be brought up again pretty soon here coming up. I, <laughs> again, I think we talked about this movie ad nauseum. I think it's one of our longest podcast episodes. So if you really want to hear what we have to say about it, go take that and give it a listen. <laughs> Number three, Nick. Number three pick. We're getting into the top threes here now. huh? wow. This happened quick. We are. we are. It used to be noise. How are your oh, noise? And number three pick of the hey. year is Banshee's of Innesheeran. Hey, Nick. What's up, baby? The dogs are aligned, baby. Number hello. three, Banshee's of Innesheeran. Irish hello, people baby. unite.
1: Let's go, baby. Slancha. <sighs> Booyah. Man, we talked about this a lot. I will read what I wrote, kind of what I talked about. I wrote, What do artists owe to their art? What do they owe to their morality? What do they owe to their friends? And what becomes of them when all three are called into question? The comb character is going to get a lot less pop than the uh, Perrick character, but those scenes in the confessional booth with Gleason and the the priest are some of my favorite in the movie because the whole time, it's Perrick or Padrick, whatever you see this very steely resolve of Comb and he doesn't care about him. And he's kind of given up all that, but then we see him question it. And like, should he just play this role in this mask and be his friend because it would make him feel better. But he knows that his art will suffer and to kind of keep getting his art to be better. He has to suffer now physically because Perry won't let him alone. And I, I don't really know what else to say about this movie other than like, it's just dynamite.
0: I love this movie. It's kind of the reverse of um, how I kind of spoke about Bones and all. I love how this movie gets more beautiful in the last 40 minutes with all the cross shots and the light coming through as the characters get uglier as you know, Cole gets nastier. And like you said, with Patrick, you know, he starts to become much more vindictive and it's not necessarily about, Hey, I, I just, I love you. And I want to be friends with you. It's like, well, why the fuck don't you want to be friends with me? It kind of elevates yes. into like obsessive and, and dark place. Um, just a great way to like, pacing and total changes. M- Martin McDonough is a master. And like, i need to go and like i want somebody to release the script preferably martin mcdonough um but like yeah, I, would I don't really... want to pirate it but <laughs> exactly um but i would really love to read this script and just sit down and kind of digest it as a document
1: another theme i adore was this idea of amusement versus fulfillment and is it worth it for gleason to amuse himself with padrick but he doesn't feel fulfilled with his life and a couple words that i've heard a lot when I talk about the last of us oddly enough is living versus surviving and this movie engages with that idea in such a unique way of it's talking about the art of someone and like what makes their spirit happy versus like they've given up the will to live and i i i I, (laughs) it's just it's beautiful it's poignant and it's pretty much perfect. I think Barry Kion is maybe the one weak spot-ish of the movie, but that's, you. that's That's honestly. Well, he's just doing a lot of like, oh, I'm, I'm really silly and goofy, and oh, I'm Barry Keown. like oh, I, I, I'm I, all all I
0: see. I read his character as, as mentally challenged.
1: I do, too. I do, too. Um, and I guess there's a real pity to that character as well, in the fact that really? there is something bad happens to him, and his dad beats him, you know. It's a really good, good movie. I think he's really good in that. I think uh, he's good. He's great. Don't get me wrong. He, I think if he's just, there's just a one weak spot. It is most likely that. Number two, Nick, I, I I think we should just always say this. Number one or two, in some order for you, are going to be Top Good Maverick and the Batman. I know this about you. We're not so. Whoa! I, I couldn't put the Batman in the top ten. I couldn't. I, I mentioned it in honorable mentions.
0: Oh. Because I knew where it was going to be on your list. Oh, fuck you, man! No, I'm sorry. It really okay, came well, down. I had it This was really tough to grind out. My top Obviously. two: Top Gun Maybe Maverick. I'll now. go ahead. You don't want me okay, to do number okay. one?
1: I, I will wait for one. We'll wait for one. Okay,
0: my two is Top Gun Maverick for all the reasons we've already talked about ad nauseum. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. All right then. My number two. Uh yeah, Nick, you're gonna still have to watch this movie. It's After Sun. This okay. is I, I I'll pull back the court curtain here, Court and Jesus. This movie made me cry like a little baby, and I'm not afraid to say it. As someone who's gone through loss and these questions of what if. And when you look back through time and through these memories you have of the people that you have lost, how they are so different now that you finally have a new perspective of age. And you're able to recognize people not as like these figureheads, but as genuine real three-dimensional people who weren't just there to make you laugh or do something. They were there to try and have a life and have these complex feelings. And Paul Mescal, and the reason he's nominated is because he encapsulates this role, so fucking great. and and there's a pity to him and there's a sorrow to him that he will never dare show the kid in this movie because he he loves her. like the one thing I watched an interview with Mescal. And the beautiful thing he said is like, the one thing this guy is ever good at is being a good father to, the, to his daughter. But everything else is a goddamn wreck for him. And uh, the thing I wrote about it was a heartwarming and heart-wrenching story about nostalgia and the painful awareness that all our memories are corrupted by our present knowledge of everyone else's pain. It just, it, it reads like a dream, it feels like a dream, and it feels like a novel. And if you haven't seen After Son... Bring some tissues, buckle up, and enjoy ninety minutes of some of the best filmmaking you'll see this year. Think Katie would like this movie? I, I think it's worth a shot. It's not okay. inaccessible. It's not the one thing I'll say we don't know about After It's not like excessive art house the way that everything everywhere all at once or Triangle Twenty Four movies are. This is very straightforward of you can pick up what it's alluding to eventually as you go, but it is never like fantastically weird or anything like that. It's a very straightforward drama about a father and a daughter and how the daughter who's now an adult looks back at these memories.
0: I do need to watch this. I, I will watch it soon. So, it's, on my, <laughs> it's on my it's on my twenty two twenty twenty two pickup list. This Pearl okay. Babylon I got some stuff I gotta circle back to women talking. I can't really pick your number one. My You're number one pick of the year. Is nope. Wow. I have, not, I have not. I have not disturbed to the point where my heart rate has changed and I feel shaky in my seat, like I have when I watch Nope. Scenes involving, um. The chimpanzee character, of course, it's my favorite pick of the year and I can't think of the character's name. Um, no. Uh it's like Harry or something. Anyways. Those <laughs> scenes involving the chimpanzee um were some of the most disturbing things I've seen in the past ten years. Yep. I I, I was really, really, really shaken in the movie theater. And like I know that sounds kinda like Over the top and dramatic, but I truly was. And I was sitting in the movie theater by myself. I went and saw this movie on opening day because this is most certainly a movie that Katie did not want to see. So I went and saw this one by myself. And again, just a year of movies where I feel like I really need to go back and process. But Daniel Kaluuya is doing stuff that is Marlon Brando esque. He's silent throughout almost this whole entire movie. He's so moody and brooding. I would have loved to have seen him get nominated for. Oscar. I think he's absolutely incredible in this movie. The stuff they did as far as visual effects and altering the sky and how they had to shoot at night. If you look at any of the the behind the scenes photos, there's lights that are literally as wide as my apartment complex over the set. It's just Jordan Peele getting this big, massive budget. And like I don't know how many times that's going to happen because I think a lot of people look at Jordan Peele and say, I don't know why we're giving this guy all this money. And then there's people like me who are like, nope, was my favorite movie of the year. Um, And I don't necessarily think it was my favorite for all of the reasons why it should have been. But Steven Yeun is absolutely incredible in this movie. He gives a great performance. He should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I think he definitely got got. snubbed. Um, Now that we're kind of thinking back on people who got snubbed like what is this movie about we can't control nature our fascination with encapsulating something that we've never seen before it just made me think about so many things that are relevant to like going on right now you know you think about an app like tiktok where you know people just can't remove themselves from it because it's just like i need to know the newest trend i need to know what the newest dance is i just really love that and you know um the real crux of the movie which i loved for the the quote-unquote villain or alien is you know In this world, the things that bother you, if you give them credence and you pay attention to them, they'll wind up eating you from the inside out. If you really kind of go about your life in a singular fashion and approach things with a a, a positive mindset of like um, virtue and family values and stuff like that, which is something that's kind of hammered home through the two um, main characters, and you can... You can live a, I guess, a happy life. I don't know if this movie has a happy ending. It's quite abrupt, no. but um, <laughs> you can live. You can live a life worth being proud of. And I thought this was had uh, of so many really great, deep messages. And uh, just like you said, probably deserves another rewatch. I watched it once um, in theaters, mm. and then I've watched it again since. But I think I need to watch it a third time just to really kind of. <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm so happy with picking this number one. Like, it wasn't my favorite experience at the movie theater, you know? Like, there was moments, like I said, where I felt uncomfortable or stuff like that. My favorite movie experience of the year was, of course, watching the Batmobile fire up, right? Like, that was just awesome. It was a rollicking great time, but I just can't yeah. put that number one over something like you Nope, know, where I'm just still fascinated with the filmmaking and the story and the messages and the subtexts.
1: It reminds me a lot of like Moby Dick is, is the one like text that I kind of associated with this movie a lot of the way that people need revenge against nature for something. Nature didn't even really mean to do exactly. You know, the the alien in question ate their father, but it was never its intent. It never went to try and actually hurt this, this man who was just kind of minding his own business. It just dropped what was in its stomach. <laughs> and unfortunately it coincided with this white guy was. And the way that Kaluya and Kiki Palmer, who we haven't even talked about, is mm. a polar one opposite, or oh, Jesus Christ, a polar 180 to Kaluya. and she's this spark in this movie that is undeniable. It's a flaming torch on gasoline to the movie industry to be like, hey, here's Kiki Palmer. She's going to be in a lot of movies in the next five, 10 years. She's terrific. I regret not mentioning her, and it was strictly
0: because I could not remember her name.
1: I, I I do want to go back to it and maybe when I rewatch it, there'll be an episode in like a month or two where I'm like, oh yeah, nope should have been higher on my list. But for now it is where it is. And yeah. My number one, this shouldn't be shocked to anyone who knows me or anyone who listens to the show, it is the Batman. Boom 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 boom. Thank you. Boom boom boom. I got you. This is the most excited I've ever been for a movie in my life question mark i the only thing that comes close to me as a nerd is batman versus superman but all my excitement and goodwill towards that movie ended when three days before release i found out batman murders people and i don't want to talk about the snyder verse too much because those people are fucking crazy and i'd rather not invite them onto our show but uh, zach snyder fundamentally did not understand the character of batman to me and what he means and he, this is the character that's always mattered so much to me and you, Nick, that I want to see him come to life and put to the screen in a way that I felt like we haven't before. And that's not even the like, well, it's got to be grungier and darker and mob, you know? Because that had been done before. Yes, yes. But what Reeves chooses to do in the end of this movie almost makes me cry every time I watch it is the idea that I've always believed and I was so happy to see, is that Batman is fundamentally an optimist. He dresses in black, he's on gargoyles, he has no parents, he has no love in his life. But the reason he is doing this every single goddamn night of his life and the reason he's dedicated his life to this cause is to try and save people and make their lives better. And Pattinson nails it to a fucking T. His eye control in this movie is out of this world in the physicality he brings in the softness in the gentleness in the fact that his batman voice isn't like blah, blah 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 it's like oh you too now like, it's almost marlon brando godfather his his scream
0: is every other batman's whisper yes <laughs> it's incredible and like you said with his eye control it's it's incredible i've n- it's very rare, and he's doing this thing with his jaw, which is not natural. No. Watch the behind footage where he kind of slips into it, where he's kind of like his jaw is almost jutted out to like mm-hmm. pronounce a little bit more, which is how we envision Batman as a, as the cartoon. But it does something to him that like hardens his character and makes you like so much more. His eyes so much more intense and like so much mm-hmm. more like observant in like. <laughs> There's so much more pain behind the eyes, and what a great idea to accentuate that by Matt Reeves to do the eyeliner underneath. Just great,
1: Mm -hmm. great, great. great. My my favorite moments of him as an actor um, are really simple, and they're not even the flashy ones. It's when he gets to the crime scene of of Coulson's murder, and Martinez stops him, and the way Pattinson just looks up at him is like, I will fucking destroy you if you do not get your hand off me and let me try and solve this murder. Followed by him staring at Coulson's kid when he finds out that he's the one who found the body. It's the Incredible. entire character. It's the entire fucking character of Batman without a line of dialogue in either of those two moments that encapsulates everything I've wanted to see so badly. And the other moment that I fucking I love is when he's walking through the nightclub. Uh. His shoulder control. Physicality. In this in this movie. Yes. He's not a big guy. He's 6'2 or whatever the fuck. But he's not muscle bound. He's not Ben Affleck. He's not Christian Bale. And yet, the up, way man. he moves. Yes, he's cut. But the way he moves is like, I don't want a piece of this guy. Because he's selling so hard how cool he is.
0: Part the part when I I love the most though is when he's walking up the stairs and that guy bumps into yes. him. and puts his hand up to like get the fuck out of my way. Yes,
1: uh,
0: so yeah. <laughs> physicality that is one thing too though. That like I, I do want to hammer home though is like sure it wasn't I it wasn't a new idea to have Batman be edgy and dark. It mm-hmm. was a new idea to have Batman take a shotgun and throw it at somebody's nose. It was a new idea to have Batman take his Batarang and shoot it through somebody's leg. It was a new idea Mm -hmm. to have Batman pound somebody else. The last thing he sees before he goes to sleep is two hammer fists going into the side of his face. Like, that, to Mm -hmm. me, was such a great choice to, like you said, Robert Pattinson isn't a big person but they use his physicality in the sense that he was like an obsessive caged animal that was just ready to burst at any moment that i believe that like he would be able to do those things it was almost like will costigan in the departed you know he's just yes. so on edge he's so frayed that like this guy is ready
1: to make any hair trigger decision to just get to the next level and get some results or the fact that I, the thing that this character is doing that is so unique is that previous iterations are like using batman to mask like uh, uh, his rage or something like that. Whereas this is very much like he's using Batman to mask his sensitivity and how lost he is as a person. And there's that beautiful moment with Alfred in the hospital that I keep coming back to, where he's like, "I was afraid, and my greatest fear is that I'm gonna lose someone else that I care about." I, I don't know if any Batman that we've seen in movies has ever expressed that or explicitly given that that feeling towards anyone. In that way. No, like, the closest we have is, like, Bale and Michael Caine. But in the end, the most you get is... tells them that Rachel knows. Yes. But in the end, it's, like, Bale tipping his glass. Whereas I get the feeling with this Batman and Alfred that even though we have, like, the least amount of screen time with them than any of them, there's this deep, deep bond. And the way that this script, as much as I've kind of, like, warped on it before on the show of, like, the exposition, there's a whole history to this world that they communicate really effortlessly. When Alfred's like, you needed a father and all you had was me. It gives you a whole new radical insight on the batman alfred relationship in this movie and why it's different. Of Alfred is a fighter, not a butler. He's a security guard, not a loving, protective guy. And yes, he can be, but that's not who he is at his core. And that's why Bruce is the way he is. And the only way he could try and help this little boy is teach him how to fight and not teach him how to, like, vent his feelings. (laughs) And... I, I know we've talked about it a lot, and I, I just want to get out of here soon because we've been at this episode probably longer than any other, which is, you know, kudos to us. But I've, I have wrote a biased pick, but one made it a boyish delight and on the back of a beautiful film. I, I just adore it. It's the thing that I've wanted the most in my life out of a movie purely because this character is the most important thing in fiction to me. It's
0: a great pick in any day isn't today could be in my top 10 right and it, it's it's the most fun i had i love this movie there was just so many other great movies that i found like more fascinating i guess in the sense yeah <laughs> but now that we've talked about it right i was saying i was going to watch pearl there's a world where i go take a shower and like i start the batman tonight just because i love it that much
1: i mean like uh and i'll just shout it out now because we're here and we want to get out of here dano kravitz Farrell, right they are all just as good as Pattinson in some regards. Dano is maybe one of my favorite Batman movie villains. He's not beating Ledger, so I don't get anyone twisted. But there's like the way they mirror him and Bruce in a way that is so perfect of like they're both detectives. They're both orphans. They're both put on these masks to save people to try and quote unquote make Gotham better. And it really, for the first time, questions Batman outside of Batman Begins and in, in movies where a lot of the Batman movies, Batman is a very static character that shows up. He fights the crime, he gets the girl or whatever the fuck. And then it's over. You know, you look at the Keaton movies, pretty much everything else post Batman isn't it, it, Batman's a supporting character to the villain of the movie. Whereas this is first, the first time really since Batman Begins that I felt Batman is the main character and we are all trying to chronicle his rise and fall Of trying to be a person not a better superhero to be a better person and like fully fleshed out human i think it's a great pick uh, really excited to see
0: where they go i know where you and i need to go and that's out of here my friend yeah uh, yeah i really enjoy this breakdown um i just want to say you know we're like approaching having done this for like half a year and i really appreciate all the effort you've put into the show Um, I look forward to where we go in the new year. Thank you, listener. Thank you, subscriber. Thank you, anybody who rated. Thank you for anybody who shared the show. Um, I'm really excited to see where we go. So, Where are we going next week?
1: Uh, If you're a long-time listener, your patience has been rewarded. We're doing Day of the Dolphin. Let's go, Mike Nichols. Let's go, baby.
0: Like, rate, subscribe. (laughs) Hit up that Instagram. Road underscore dogs underscore podcast. Road dogs out.